Welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Kieran Snape, and I miss video stores so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week, I force my co-host, Kira Jade Oppitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around, and sign up for a membership. This is Weird Kid Video. Old business. Old business. Last week I said I didn't have a lot of notes. Uh, wouldn't need to write a lot of notes because it's Bill and Ted and I know it inside out. And it was a lie. It's a straight up lie. <laughs> I watched this movie four times this week. <laughs> that is four times. That is totally okay. And On I, different yeah. formats or and just I have the same? Many, many notes. I have a small Bible. You do. It looks like a book. We are the complete opposite because there is a point when I was watching this movie where I just stopped taking notes, made myself some popcorn, and I was just like, fuck. All right. Bill and Ted, let's do this. What's it like over there? It must be nice. Oh, no, it was I can do so that good. <laughs> I did watch it for joy. It wasn't just all work. I did watch the movie for joy. And then last night I watched Bogus Journey and Face the Music nice. back to back as well. So you know, I've still never seen Face the Music. That's well, a good you time. really need to. I don't have faith that it's going to be good. It's but really it's, good. Yeah? Yeah, it is. It, it, it's, it's, it's what you want it to be. shaky for the first half hour. Yeah. But it all pulls together. I was so scared because I was like, hey, Ellie, like, have you seen this? Like, do you want to watch it? And she's like, oh, I saw it a while ago and I was not about it. And I was like, does it not hold up? Has she seen the other ones? I think, and while we were watching it, she was like, this is really good. So like- I think I may have seen Bogus Journey and I was like, I mean, Excellent Adventure is better, but Bogus Journey is still good. We, we've moved into podcast content. New business. Sorry. Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted. We're finally doing Bill and Ted. Oh yeah. my God. This was a fucking great time. This week, we're headed on a non, 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 non heinous adventure through time. We are talking about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure from 1989. Now, a motion picture so grand, Whoa. so magnificent, and so vast, it spans 7,000 years. No way. Yes, way. But it starts with Bill. I'm Bill S. Preston. Who is Joan of Arc? And Ted. Noah's wife? We're in danger of flunking most heinously tomorrow. A force from the future. Can we go anywhere we want at any time? You can do anything you want. Is putting history at their fingertips. Let's reach out and touch someone. They're traveling through time. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? Put them in the Iron Maiden. Excellent! Execute them! Bogus! How's it going, dude? And they're making a big impression. Historical babes. Now they're home. Everybody get together and remember who your buddy is. To trash the 20th century. We got a live one here. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Napoleon. We're from history. Billy the Kid. Oh my God. Joan of Arc. Sigmund Freud. Tell me about your mother. You a musician? Beethoven. Genghis Khan! Abraham Lincoln. Party on, dudes! Socrates. George Carlin. We're history. If you guys are really us, what number are we thinking of? 69, dudes! <gasps> Bill and Ted's Excellent! Excellent! Excellent adventure. Party on, dude. Yay! Yeah, the best. 
Keanu. Yeah. I honestly thought this was 90, not 89. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. So directed by Stephen Herrick, Bill and Ted was his second film. Ooh. What was the first? Directed and co-wrote Critters in 1986, ah. which is a good time. It's yeah. like Gremlins, but they're real mean. Yeah, I've <laughs> heard of Critters. Critters is, good. Critters is good fun. Critters yeah. 2 and Critters 3 are also good fun. There is okay. more modern Critters movies. And is I it on the them. list? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen that tape floating around Instagram a lot. Mm. His film after Bill and Ted was Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Oh, really? Oh, shit. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, that was like my family movie for ages. Yeah. Followed by The Mighty Ducks. Holy. Ah. Yes. The director Fuck, of Bill and Ted directed bangers. The Mighty Ducks. And yet I wouldn't have recognized his name. Nah, neither. The 90s heartthrob version of The Three Musketeers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wait. With Keith O'Sullivan and Chris O'Donnell. Oh, I thought you were Oliver about to Platt say the one with and, Leo. No, that's, I mean, that's from the late 90s and that's the man in the iron mask and yeah. he doesn't play one of the musketeers. <laughs> And I've forgotten who the fourth person in that movie is. Chris O'Donnell, Keith Sutherland, Oliver Platt, and... Jeremy Irons. <laughs> You're not helping. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram games. We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh, no, I don't know, uh, Alec Guinness. Genuine class. Oh, <laughs> very good. All right, Lisa, um, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very good for a first try. You know what? I have a ball. Perhaps you'd like to bounce it. Three Musketeers and, and obviously Mighty Ducks were both for Disney. He then just moved into like family-friendly Disney pictures yeah. and nothing and broad comedies, nothing that we'd really talk about, but he's still directing stuff. He's still w- working around. Yeah, so and he didn't have anything to do with Bogus Journey? No, he did not like the script for Bogus Journey. His response was that it was like a parody of a movie that's already a parody. Fuck, I wish I should have. I wish I watched Bogus Journey this week as well. I have strong feelings about Bogus Journey. Yeah. It's okay. We'll do another podcast about it. Nice. Written by Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson. They have written all three Bill and Ted movies together. Nice. Nice. Are they the Bill and Ted? They are, kind of. Okay. Movies together, but nothing else that we would talk about. Matheson alone. And with other writers, has also written a bunch of movies, but again, nothing we would talk about. Ed Solomon, on the other hand, is one of the credited writers, one of, and he kind of denies, well, disowns ever having worked on it. He worked on the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> no, nah, you should claim that yeah. shit. He wrote the first Men in Black movie. Oh. I actually love that movie. I've never seen it, and I uh, probably You haven't seen the first one? No, I have not seen it. I thought you, you would have seen it because you wouldn't have known whether or not you were going to like it. I was already like too old for it when it came out. The right. first 40 minutes of that movie I think is really, really good. He's still working. He recently wrote No Sudden Move with Steven Soderbergh, which rules. That movie's fantastic. Steven Soderbergh is a producer on the third Bill and Ted movie. Ah. Yeah. Both of them went to college together where they would perform in an improv class. One night the prompt was... Two guys that don't know anything about history are studying history. One of them started the sketch by saying to the other one, how's it going, Bill? And the other one responded, how's it going, Ted? And here we are. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Fuck. After that, they would just do these characters all the time. Yes. I love that. To the point of annoying everybody that they knew. Oh, that's fantastic. Everyone has a bit like this with their bestie, though. They would do it in public. They would do it at bars. They did it all the time. That's awesome. 
Eventually, they would improv these guys somehow traveling through time and fucking up history. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that led to them deciding to outline a spec script in 1984. Their first draft was written in four days. Wow. Really nights. All nighters at a diner. Yeah, mad. (laughs) It was called Bill and Ted's Time Van. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually... They had to ditch the van because Back to the Future came out. Yeah. Right. So the time van was a little bit too close to the DeLorean. Okay. They ended up with the phone booth, which was actually Stephen Herrick, the director's idea. Is it a nod to None of them knew that Doctor Who existed. Wow. (laughs) It is not a reference. Nobody in the creative team. Alex Winter did, but there's reasons for that and we'll talk about it. Okay. But it is not a reference. They just landed on a phone booth because they Ah. needed something that that they felt would like make a good time machine. Yeah, see, I thought that's one of the parody elements that was in there. Yeah, right. It just happened. Interesting. Yeah. Also, originally, Rufus was their 26-year-old friend who was still a senior in high school. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that owned and drove the van for them. Right. I fucking love that. And there was no explanation for why the van moved through time. Of course. Oh, why do you even need one? He also had a dog that sat in the front seat with him. Perfect. Called Dog Rufus. <laughs> Fuck. These I guys want to are read just this hitting, version of the script. It's a different movie, These right? These guys are just making gold. <laughs> just a different movie. They shopped the script script around. It ended up getting bought by a production company called Interscope. Warner Brothers were very interested. They developed it at Warner Brothers for a while. They went through a bunch of drafts. They ended up passing once they figured out what the budget was. <laughs> they were like, it was too big a risk for them to take. The, to take. Don't you feel like the first version of that script is an adult swim show? Maybe. Yeah, like the elements of it are just like an adult swim cartoon. (laughs) Eventually it ended up with legendary Italian producer Dino De Laurentiis and his company DEG. Dino, who didn't speak English, had the script translated into Italian and he did not get Bill and Ted. (laughs) Well, it might not have worked in the translation. He did not understand all the dude stuff. Yeah. He was very confused by the fact that they keep calling each other dude. Eventually his people, including his daughter, Raffaella, convinced him that it meant somebody who was tough and cool. (laughs) And so he greenlit the movie. Okay. Mm, Okay. So that was Bill and Ted's path to, uh, to getting made. It gets a little rockier, but we'll talk about it momentarily. Starring... Keanu Reeves as Keanu Reeves. Baby Keanu, as who's just so gorgeous. Ted Theodore Logan. Oh. Yes. This is his breakout role. Of course it is. Yeah. So this was before uh, the other one that, that we've had on here. River's Edge? No. River's Edge. No. Ah. River's Edge is before this. But he's not the lead in River's Edge. Uh-huh. He's part right. of the ensemble in River's Edge. Interesting. Right. So he Also, I listened to the trailer on on the pod that we had that on the list. Fucking let's watch River's Edge. <laughs> I said that for weeks. Yeah, sorry. It's not my fault. <laughs> we try to listen to you, it but we my, also think uh, you're evil. I mean, it is my fault. I am. It is my fault. Yeah, I'm you chaotic do neutral. <laughs> you are. <laughs> Uh, I create the chaos. I'm not. I'm not good or evil. <laughs> yeah, that is very true. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he had smaller roles in Young Blood with uh, Rob Lowe, an ice hockey movie. He almost went. He was good enough in ice hockey to have almost gone professional. Really? Because Keanu Reeves is Canadian. <laughs> like Keanu most people, Reeves. Most people just assume that he is that he's American, but he's Canadian. No, that I, explains how nice he is. Yeah. 
He's just a spectacular man. Are we going to have a section on how of a spectacular man he is? Well, so this morning somebody sent me a link to a Reddit AMA that he yeah. did. It was so wholesome. It's disgusting. He's just <laughs> so perfect. Youngblood, River's Edge, before ch- starting to shine in leading roles. Movie called The Night Before. Permanent Record, which is a good movie. The Prince of Pennsylvania with Fred Ward from Tremors. Never heard that. And Amy Madigan, McCoy from Streets of Fire. Hey, and dude. I have seen that movie. But it was erased from my brain until I was doing research for this and saw the cover and was like, holy shit, that movie exists. Good. So On the list? I, well, it has to be now. Yeah, because for I, sure. I it's don't got remember. so many characters from I just spot. remember the cover. The cover is very pre- um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, but Ooh. like years before Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Okay. Like sitting on a throne. Yeah. 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 Dangerous Liaisons and yeah. then this movie. Right. Wow. So. Wow. Yeah. The amount of... Films he did before he broke out. Yeah. How old is he in this? He's in his very early 20s. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. He's a hard worker. Yeah. yeah. Afterwards, I mean, he's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about Keanu Reeves a lot on this podcast. Because so I'm going to leave. Yeah. I'm going to leave everything after Bill and Ted for But like, like even the later. like memey shit of Keanu Reeves, like beyond that, I love him so much. He's just such a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. I've always loved him. Uh, I've always loved him and I have seen him rise and fall in pop culture relevance. Yeah, he did I have remember, a bit of relevance for a while, hey. We'll, we'll talk about something in talk about something in a, in a second. Okay. Yeah. They saw almost 300 actors for the roles of Bill and Ted. Wow. Keanu auditioned pretty early and they were pretty sure he was the guy. He was going to mm. be one of the guys. So they looked to cast Bill to match him, even though they hadn't really told him that he had the part. Right. And then so they did a bunch of chemistry reading with lots of other with lots of other people. Eventually at the final casting, it took them this process took almost a year. At the final casting, they had 24 people to mix and match. Keanu bonded in the green room with another actor about music and motorcycles. They talk about the fact that at auditions you would just see the same people all the time. So yeah. eventually you become kind of friends with those people because you're always going up against the same roles. That's what happened with yeah. the always sunny cast as well. They just saw each other in a bunch castings yeah. and became besties. Especially if you like sim- have similar age and have similar interests. Yeah. It's like you just become friends due to, cir- yeah. due to circumstances. Because you're going to be picking the same scripts. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You have the same interests. So the person that he bonded with about music and motorcycles was Alex Winter. Fantastic. As Bill S. Preston Esquire. Oh man, <laughs> his little midriff in this is just the coolest shit. Well, that was his look in, that, in this era. Fuck yeah. So he was born and grew up in England with an American parent and an Australian parent. Huh. Both of them were dancers. Okay. Right. Amazing. He didn't move to the US until he was fi- till he was 5 and then he started on Broadway as a child actor. He looks like a dancer. He I, does, I can't imagine him as a child actor, actually. Yeah. yeah. He started on Broadway with Yul Brenner in the revival of The King and I. Whoa. <laughs> which was in the late 70s. And he played that role for like two years. After that, he was in Peter Pan and Wendy. Oh, yeah. Also on, uh, no, so just Peter lost, Pan. On, lost Boy? He was one of the brothers. Oh, okay. In Peter Pan on Broadway. Yeah, I can see that. And he did that until he was an adult. Right. His weekend job when he was a child was to go and be on Broadway. <laughs> Such That's a strange awesome. existence. Yeah. Such a very strange. He has a really interesting life. When he was an adult, finally an adult, he decided to go to art school. And then later he went to film school at NYU. He dropped out and started directing music videos. Okay. He directed a bunch of early Red Hot Chili Peppers clips. Mad. Right. And then moved to LA to start acting again and also to pay to, to pay the bills. He's 
one of the bad guy punks in Death Wish 3. Shut up. Uh, Charles yeah. Bronson. Does he get killed in a gruesome way? His stories about the making of that movie are wild. Really? Like what? We will talk about it when okay, we watch okay, Death, okay. Wish, Death Wish 3. He is Marco in The Lost Boys. Yeah. Is he? He's one of the vampires in The Lost Boys. Oh, fuck. You just gave me goosebumps. I didn't realize that. Where he is wearing an even higher midriff. Oh, amazing. Yep. That's before or after. Before. That's Before. 1987. Lost Boys and then this almost back to back. Right. Mm. Yeah. After this movie, he co-directed with Tom Stern. He also did, who's a Is director. He directing at a young age? In his in his 20s, yeah. Wow. So he co-directed with Tom Stern, who also co-directed some of his music videos. A cult movie called Freaked. Okay. Which- Sounds familiar. In which County Reeves plays a very small part. Hey. Yeah. It's a like massive cult movie. Because they stayed the friends, yeah? Keanu and- um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Afterwards. Can I just say, directing in your 20s, I know you did, the amount of confidence it must take to TV do that. TV commercials, it's different. It's a different But thing. still, the level of confidence to direct people and tell them what to do is phenomenal. I don't think I have that now. I, I faked it until I was 30. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I legitimately just faked it until I was 30. Like, when I turned 30, I was like, actually, I'm not pretending anymore. I know what I'm doing. Fair. Right. Okay. And aside from Bill and Ted's bogus journey, he actually stopped acting. He did occasional like small roles or cameos, but after that, he he was kind of done with acting. He moved to the UK. He just he just left the wow. country and became a commercial director, <laughs> and then a documentary filmmaker. He's like the opposite of Ridley Scott. <laughs> okay. Okay. How? Didn't Ridley Scott start in commercials and then become massive film? Yeah. Director? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> that was a reach. That was a reach. Yeah. It was. <laughs> he directed. Downloaded about Napster, which is a great documentary. Okay. Deep Web about the Silk Road website. Oh, I think I've seen that. Keanu does the voiceover for it. Yeah. yeah. Panama Papers, Showbiz Kids, which is about growing I up did. in showbiz, which he has personal experience of, and and a documentary about Zappa. So he didn't fade into obscurity. I thought that he kind no, of No, he in- consciously decided that he didn't, he always wanted to be a filmmaker more than he wanted to be an actor. Really? He was a child actor, so he had experience in it and he could get jobs. That's great. That's great news. Right. I'm stoked about that. He returned to acting, of course, for Bill and Ted Face the Music, which is fantastic. And then other casts I will talk about as they appear, including some of our favorites. Yeah, there are some people in this that I did not realize. Yeah, it's good time. <laughs> yeah. Trailers, three trailers and two ads. Nothing particularly interesting to us. I'm going to move through these pretty quick because we have so much to talk about. Yeah, the first they one They were very heavy. odd choices for the Bill and Ted tape. Yeah. Yes. The opening intro to the opening trailer, hectic. Eric the Viking. Hello, I'm Terry Jones. My new comedy adventure, Eric the Viking, contains rape, gore, pillage, murder, and some really lovely scenery. And it's coming soon from first release, Home Entertainment. So see it. <laughs> Now, an epic adventure of war and peace. Eric the Viking. Oh, scary, scary. Don't we look mean. What is going on? A story of life and death. Throw down your weapons or we kill the children. Well, now we'll kill the children anyway. Love and hate. Have you done this sort of thing before? Me, of course. I've been looting and pillaging up and down the coast. Conquest and courage. There is another Killed. We'll be dangerous. A bold voyage. Don't forget to wash, you know, all over. It doesn't matter where you sit. You can't stop. We could be as safe moons. You there, you there, and you there. Now you got all the big ones on one side. To brave the open sea. It's the dragon of the North Sea. 
awaken the gods. She's got no clothes on. It's disgusting. Let's hack her to pieces. And save the human race from destruction. Uh, stay calm. This is not happening. The future of the Earth rests on one man. Why didn't you come up by this day? Terry Jones, Eartha Kitt, Mickey Rooney, Tsutomu Sikini. Oh, you'd be so bad if we knew what you were saying. John Cleese. What? Anthony Sher, Imogen Stubbs. You understand? Because I'm the edge of the world. There is no edge of the world. Eric, the Viking. It's the stress that gets you, huh? So this is one of my Gramps' favorite movies. Really? Yeah. Because it does look like kind of fun. It's Terry Jones from Monty Python. Oh, right. I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, from Monty Python. I remember going to the movies when I was a kid with Gramps, his partner, and his partner's daughter. And the adults went to go see Eric the Viking, and we went to go see Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie holds a, holds kind of like a special place in my heart. It is really funny in places and really dull in others. Oh, really? It's one of those, it has some like jokes that I think about all the time that live in my live in my head. Mm. But it's also every time I rewatch it, more of it is like less interesting than I remember yeah. it being. Have you made me watch this movie? We have started this movie and we never made it through. You right. Also some because of it's, it's felt not a bit your sense not, of humor. Not my sense of humor at all. Is it kind of like they had more fun writing it than like is on the actual movie? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I felt like there was parts of it, the parts of the trailer. I was like, I feel like I've seen this, but I don't remember I, seeing this. I put it on, and then like ten minutes later, you were like, Yeah, I'm going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, Peter Phelps in Starlight Hotel. He was a soldier fighting his own private war. One for the people, Maxwell. She is a rebel. Searching for a memory. Where will you be staying tonight? I thought you might want some company. They are strangers. Uh, you. Who must become friends. What's your name? Hey! Runaways on a collision course with each other. You want to be with me? You jump when I jump again. Fugitives. You're a crook. Whose only chance of escape is together. But they're traveling on a dangerous road in a lawless age. What's he doing with a kid? Hostage? And to keep one step ahead, they'll need friends. That guy dies. You'll hang. Sighting an hour ago. All the luck they can get. There they are. Get up. And an outrageous plan. I'm lose my sunshine for giving a thieving bailiff what he deserved. There's a little bit of a powder this time. I'll use a whole bag full. our fugitive stories don't we well we do this is a movie from new zealand this is an australian film oh really <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> so it's two outcasts on the run during the Depression in New Zealand. Are you kidding? The accent sounded Australian. And I'm well, sure the main actor is Australian. Peter Phelps is Australian, but yeah. it's a New Zealand movie. It was shot in New Zealand. It's set in New Zealand during the Depression. Wow. Yep. There you go. There you go. Driving Miss Daisy. My mother's a little high strung. The fact is, you'd be working for me. She can say anything she likes, but she can't fire you. I wouldn't be in your shoes if the sweet Lord Jesus come down and asked me himself. I don't need you. I don't want you. And I don't like you saying I'm rich. What are you doing? I'm trying to drive you to the stove. You're speeding, I can see it. We're only doing about 19 miles an hour. I like to go under the speed limit. But speed limit's 35, yeah. Nothing came easy. Morning, Miss Daisy. You leave my flower bed alone. They didn't connect. I just love a house and fishes, Miss Daisy. I don't want you nosing through my things. They couldn't agree. You took the wrong turn at Old Polite. Well, now you took it with me, Miss Daisy. And you got the man. They wouldn't give in. Well, I'll help you to the door. Thank you, Hope. I can help myself. Now, ain't just some back of the neck you look at while you're going wherever you got to go. I'm a man. But from place to place. I ever tell you about the first time I leave the state of Georgia? When was that? A few minutes back. <laughs> from season to season. It's not a Christmas present. Oh, no. Well, go on, open it up. Well, look at that. Ain't nobody never given that book before, Miss Daisy. <laughs> For 25 years, they shared each other's lives. You ought not to be driving anything the way you see. How you know how I can see less than you can look out my eyes. And touched each other's hearts. Hope? Yes. You're my best friend. Morgan Freeman, Jessica Tandy, Dan Aykroyd, Driving Miss Daisy. Did you have the air condition checked? I told you to have the air condition checked. I don't know what for. You don't never allow me to turn it on. Hush up. Goodbye. Good luck. Good God. Again, why is this on the Bill and Ted tape? <laughs> because it's the biggest hit of the year. I so get that, but you, I still everybody. feel like you should try to match the vibe. Lawrence of Arabia. of Arabia fully restored with material never publicly seen before in the full glory of 70 millimeter and Dolby spectral sound. Much more than a re-release, this is an opportunity to relive one of the greatest achievements in cinematic history in its ultimate form. Lawrence's story, the way the filmmakers always intended it to be told. Following the film's triumphant return to screens in America, Richard Corliss of Time magazine said, Lawrence was the ultimate epic cinema at the apex of its ambition and intelligence. Now moviegoers can see Lawrence in its pristine splendor. David Anson wrote in Newsweek, now after an arduous restoration, Lean's vast and intimate masterwork unveiled in its definitive form. Steven Spielberg said, 
Lawrence of Arabia, 25 years later, looks better and sounds better than any film that has been in the theatre since Lawrence of Arabia. Peter O'Toole in David Lean's Lawrence of Arabia. the restored director's cut in 70mm it's a trailer for the cinema re-release and a trailer that only uses stills of the movie which yeah. is very yeah. strange Lawrence of Arabia is a beautiful film though I don't remember any of the plot but I remember it looks really nice yeah because it's shot on 70mm film and yeah. David Lean was fantastic at shooting and all the landscape. guys had makeup and stuff it looks really nice yeah I mean it's an incredible dusty piece of epic cinema yeah yeah, I can only really recommend it for people that are into film history because yeah. you should see it because of the cinematography and the and the, its place in cinema history. But I wouldn't recommend watching it just to watch a Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. We got the uh, Sega ad that we have seen before. We saw this a Sega ad before on Delta Force. Oh, I remembered this from, I must have remembered it from listening to the pod. Yeah. You, you can rent Sega games from, from a video store. You can rent consoles. Sega games? Did you know that Sega video games are available for rental from your local video store? Did you know that Sega Master Systems are also available for rental? Did you know that Sega leads the world in the development of new and exciting video games? Did you know that Sega games feature the sharp, clear video images, vibrant colors, and realistic sound you've been craving. Did you know that Sega games have challenges for players from beginners through to masters? Did you know that Sega has a range of titles including the well-known hits Afterburner and Double Dragon? Did you know that fantasy space games, fast action games, and realistic sports simulations are all in the rapidly expanding Sega range? Did you know that each month up to 10 and hot new Sega releases will be available for rental. Sega, all kinds of games, all kinds of fun. Sega, let the games begin. <laughs> and then, can you remember every movie ever made? I told you the first time. I'm trying. <laughs> can you remember every movie ever made? Refresh your memory at your local video store. My note is, no, I'm not keen. <laughs> we also saw this on a tape, but I was too lazy to look it up. And we have too much to talk about. Too much to talk about. Who's going to recap the premise of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Oh, I think you've done it already, but do you want to go? Or I'll I, go? I can do it. Yeah. Bill S. Preston, Esquire, and Ted Theodore Logan are failing their history um, class. And so they go through time with the help of Rufus. And... Um, <laughs> Meet lots of fun people and bring them back. Yeah, okay, cool. To yeah. pass history. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. So great. The blockbuster entertainment guide to movies and videos from the year 1998, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It's the best movie. It really is. Fun-loving teenage buddies travel through time to study for a history exam. For good-natured silliness, it's hard to beat. Followed by a sequel. Three and a half stars. <laughs> this one only gets three and a half. Last week's one got four. Future Cop 3 got four stars. Yeah, this is why, like, I get it that it's a good idea to have such a wide array of people rating these movies. But it does mean there are some inconsistencies. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Future Cop 3 was not better than Bill and Ted. It's like I'm rating these movies. Like, I'm just giving out <laughs> random wild stars. Jenna Maslin of the New York Times. Oh. Is Vincent Canby of the Damn. 
She would have loved this movie, I feel. February of 1989, he wrote, The one dimly interesting thing about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is the way the teen, two teen heroes communicate in superlatives. Superlatives. Superlatives is what <laughs> yeah. this says here. Yeah, okay. They're also fond of odd words, such as bodacious. Other than that, they're inconsistent ciphers. They know how to pronounce egregious, but when in their time travel adventures they meet Socrates, they call him Socrates. I love it. Socrates. <laughs> Freud comes out as Frude. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is meant to be funny, but it only swells the sinus passages. It is a painfully inept comedy about two high school Fuck. pals who via a magical telephone booth able to bounce in and out of the great moments of history. The film was directed by Stephen Herrick, who made his centrical debut with Critters. Ken Reeves plays Ted and Alex, Winters, Alex Winter as Bill. Give it the old school try. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has been rated PG. It includes some mildly vulgar language, meeting fruit and Socrates. This guy just wanted to have an opinion, hey. Vincent Campy of the New York Times did not enjoy it. So I listened to many commentary tracks. Oh, this is Vincent Camby. Right. Sorry. I thought it was the blockbuster one. I'm so sorry. We already did the blockbuster yeah, no, one. No, no. one. <laughs> no, I get that. I get that. But also it, this is some highbrow person who just like doesn't appreciate it. Like it. I listened to the writer's commentary yeah. for Bill and Ted. They remember this review. <laughs> yeah? He quoted it directly. One of the writers quoted the sinus part directly. Oh. <laughs> right. I have another review for you. Hal Hinson of the Washington Post. Mm. He wrote, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is a dilapidated comedy about two of history's preeminent non-entities. To say that Bill and Ted are underachievers is unfair to all of those who actually possess untapped potential. I'm about to fight some people. Bill and Ted this is, is a, the shaggiest. This is, that this is pro. Is it? Yes. No, it's no. not. Dilapidated. Uh, Dilapidated. Uh, <laughs> We're all over the shop. It's insulting to preeminent non- It's insulting to people with actual untapped potential. Uh, Bill and Ted is the shaggiest of shaggy dog stories. The movie is mounted entirely on the notion of having these two wholly oblivious geeks mixed with the greatest minds of the world. Not in and of itself a bankrupt premise for a teen comedy. But Matheson and Ed Solomon, who wrote the script have made only the sketchiest attempt to draw the hysterical characters. They exist as foils and nothing else, and the gags are hung on them are far from first rate. The stars themselves are frisky and companionable, like unkept ponies. Frisky? If their ignorance is bliss, they're the most blissed out kids ever, because the characters they're playing and the lingo they spout are already out of date. The timing of the picture seems out of whack. It's peddling last year's hip. If the director, Stephen Herrick, has any talent for comedy, <sighs> it's not visible here. More than anything, the picture looks paltry and undernourished. Even the warts on Lincoln's face look slapped on. <laughs> what a dick. They clearly didn't understand. Like, I to call this movie a parody, I think, is a strong word choice. But they clearly didn't get the parody-esque features of this movie, right? He doesn't call him a parody. He doesn't use the word parody. No, 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 I am. Okay. Yeah. So... This movie is fucking savaged by critics. That's why I read two re two reviews because I didn't want you to think it was just Vincent Campy of the New York Times. Yeah, right? sure. People fucking hated this movie. Did it in, in the box office? At the box office, no. Yeah. So this movie was widely derided by the film industry, by critics, by by anybody who they didn't get it is in charge of things. It made forty million dollars off a ten million dollar budget. Fuck Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Ten million. That's so impressive with some of the things you see in this. There's some there's some stuff that holds up and stuff that doesn't. Yeah, but still, yeah. there's some big things. Obviously, it was a big enough hit. They made a sequel in 91, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which some days I like more than this movie. Yeah. It's my stronger There's movie. some elements of the second one, which I love. Yeah. And then after nearly 15 years of development, they made Bill and Ted face the music. After spending forever trying to convince somebody to make it and give them the money, Keanu became money again with John Wick, 
which is yeah. how that movie got made. Makes sense. Can yeah. I ask you how you feel about Bogus Journey being essentially a requel or reboot it's sequel? It's not. No, no, no. I'm essentially, essentially asking like, you know how studios go for another cash grab it's by not remaking a, a beloved movie? Well, it's not a remake. It's a completely different movie. That's one of the best things about Bogus Journey is, yeah. that, is that the concept is completely different. There's no time travel in Bogus Journey. So having not... Oh, yeah. There's no time. It's a completely different movie. They went out of their way to not remake the first movie. They go on a completely different type Sorry, of Sorry, not Bogus Journey. Face the Music. Face the Music is not a cash grab of any kind. Okay. It is a passion project for Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, Ed Solomon, and Tim Matheson. They spent 15 years trying to convince people to make the fucking Really? Movie. I did not know that. I just he said just those words. Oh, I missed it. I'm sorry. What are you doing to me, man? You give me so many facts. Some just don't sink in. Yeah, like they worked their asses off to make that movie a reality. Like That's they awesome. tried to, for years. The only reason it got made is because Keanu got hot again with John Wick because he could bank the movie. The movie was had a built-in audience. Is John Wick really when he got hot again? Yes. Wow. He was stone cold through the through really? the 2000s. He hadn't made a hit movie for like 10 years, man. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, he was in a bunch of like romantic comedies and like- Romantic comedies and Constantine, Constantine was a massive flop and- Still a good movie. I love that movie, but yeah. he was not- and He had, had faded into like internet memes and, and slight obscurity. He was, not big, he was not big again. John Wick turned him back into a fucking superstar. Wow. I never really saw it that way. Because John Wick is, here's the thing about John Wick. John Wick is a low budget movie for an action movie. They yeah. had no money to make it. Again, it's a passion project where he's working with people that he, people that he loves to do something different. That movie was a sleeper hit. That movie came out of fucking nowhere. Nobody That's expected such a clean that movie, movie man. To, to be a hit. And now the fourth one's about to come out. Yeah. They're fucking massive. Yeah. Yeah. So Fuck. he got, he got Bill and Ted face the music made. So he was in obscurity, like to the not point ob- where he obscurity. wasn't making money. He made fucking forty-seven Ronin, which was a big budget, yeah, massive true. flop. There's Constantine. He had not had a big hit movie in since in like a- Speed. In between Speed, Matrix, yeah, Matrix and John Wick, he fell into obscurity. Well, he was not the star. He didn't have the star power he wants. It's not did. like he wasn't wow. being cast in stuff. He just wasn't. He's constantly working. Yeah, but he's not. He's not. He's not guaranteed box office. Interesting. That's so funny. Okay, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry to derail us. It's just, I, that's how I never thought of him that way. Yeah. The weekend it opened in the US, it was third behind Joe Dante's The Burbs that opened the exact same weekend. Strangely enough, Corey Feldman in that movie is playing a kind of Bill and Ted type. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Second was Rain Man in its 10th week. Wow. It would play, Bill and Ted that is, in the top 10 for eight weeks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Holding its place in the top five for seven of those weeks and getting as high as number two. Nice. So I think it built word of mouth. Rain Man was number one. It took over the Corey Feldman one. No, it, it, it was on its way down because uh, it, well, it hung around for a long time as well because it was a massive hit and then, and then the burbs took number one. From uh, it. This is the perfect example of the critics. This is a, like a rotten tomato score, you know, where like the critics have one score and the people have another. Rotten Tomatoes is a tool that people use for culture wars, so I would not use Rotten Tomatoes scores for anything. Just in this example to tell you what I'm what I'm trying to say. I would say that the reason that it was savaged by critics is because it wasn't aimed at them, and they didn't under, and they didn't understand it. Mm. This movie typecast Keanu. Yeah, it typecast him into people thinking that he was as dumb as Ted forever. Mm. He was in those dumb Bill and Ted movies. He plays it so well, though. What you don't know about is that the absolute fucking 
abject outrage of the idea of him being an action star in 1991 when he's in Point Break. Really? I think you've told me about this before, actually. Him being derided in that movie for being like, no way he's an FBI guy. He's too like stoned and and like slackery. And then the same thing with Speed. People laughed at him for being cast in an action movie in 1994 for Speed. But they were both big hits at the movies, right? Yes. So, but that's how the perspective of him changed. Wow. Okay. Right. So in 1994, the idea of him being in an action movie is, is ridiculous until the movie comes out. Is it the nineties when you had to be a big buff superstar? Yeah, to because be every, everybody is like, yeah. everybody except for Bruce Willis is yeah. like Arnold, right? Yeah. Yep, Arnold yep. and Stallone. And then what happens is he has another like slow period until the matrix. He has another period where he's not in hit movies until The Matrix. Wow. And then The Matrix is a massive hit. And then he has another, after The Matrix movies, he has another slow period until until John Wick. Do you reckon he just like makes enough money and like has a break or and doesn't gone, care? He made it? enough money off the, he made so much money off The Matrix movies that he, that he split it up and gave it away to the stunt crew. Fuck, he's amazing. Off, off the sequels. He didn't take any money for the, for the sequels. He gave all his money. Fucking hell. He's such a man. Holy yep. shit. So my backstory with this movie, I have the extremely distinct memory of being in a multiplex cinema to see something else with my cousins and me. Carly made you see it. Carly made you see it. No, not really. So (laughs) me and my cousin Carly walked out of the theater to see a standee for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and thought it was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, We could not wait to see this movie. So both of us were excited. She didn't force this movie on me. We were both excited to see this movie. Could not wait. But I would wait because the company that made Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure DEG, Medina de Laurentiis company, went out of business and the movie sat on a shelf, almost finished for not quite two years. So this they'd movie, already advertised it. This movie was meant to come out in 1987 and it did not come out. When did it get to Australia? I didn't Ooh. realize that they, like, that things could end up on shelves after they'd already started advertising them. Yeah, because the company fell apart that was releasing it fell Hectic. apart. Yeah. It was almost dumped straight to video. No. Yeah. And then Nelson Entertainment, who picked it up, did a test screening. It tested through the roof and they decided to give it a shot in theaters. Yes. It released in American theaters in February of 1989. It didn't make it to Australia until a year after its US release in That's January why. of 1990. Right. That's why I think it's a 90 film. Yes. For me, like watching this, I was like, Ellie kept saying like, this is such strong 80 vibes. And I was like, no, this isn't, this isn't came out in 1990. Like this is a nineties film. It was shot in 1987. Yeah. Wow. So it shot the same year. It shot the same year that Lost Boys released. Lost Boys was shot in 86. Right. So yeah, total like eighties vibes. The nineties nineties hasn't happened yet. That's why all the music is like hair metal, not grunge. Yeah. Right. And so I saw this on VHS with my dad when it was released. In in uh in on home video, I did not see it at the movies, and and I mean it's Bill and Ted. That and like Wayne's World were probably like the biggest influences on me at that age. Really? Yeah, it made me a County Reese fan, and it introduced me to George Carlin. Like it's the best. Yeah. yeah. If you want to watch this movie, it's fucking everywhere, it's streaming everywhere. There's a beautiful 4K disc that you can that you can get. You can rent and buy it. All of those things. What? 
It's just beautiful. I love the description. It's a beautiful 4K. It's a good disc. looking movie. It looks great. I've seen details on the 4K that I had never spotted before, and I've seen this movie hundreds of times. When it's on 4K, sorry, technical question, because sure. there's we I watched it on Stan, and there's a lot of grain in there. So on the 4K, is that like remastered? So the no, grain the is grain is there? in the film. Okay. And why would you remove something? Why would you remove the grain? I just don't know how it works because I was like, oh, so this is like a high def. And they like- do do that sometimes, and it's very upsetting. Okay. Watch, watch Terminator Two in 4K and look at how plastic everything looks. Oh, really? Because okay. they scrubbed the grain out of it, and the reason that they did that was for the 3D uh, re-release in cinemas. Interesting. And 3D and grain don't really go very well together. Yeah. Right. Right. So Interesting. Thank shot you. Shot at film. It's going to be grainy. Yeah. Grain is beautiful. Yeah, I agree. My, yeah. So my sources for this week are mostly from the commentary track on the 4K, as well as Ed Solomon's Twitter account, where over the years he has shared a ton of behind the scenes stuff, including the original outline. I've seen screenshots of his of the original outline and read it. It's great. Also, many years ago, I was a Kickstarter funder on Alex Winter's Silk Road documentary. Yeah. And my perk was an autographed copy of no. his personal Bill and Ted production script. And it is very different from the final movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hectic. <laughs> so you can got your name on it. Amazing. Be excellent. So that is my Bill and Ted production script. Oh, my God. It should be, be framed. I will talk about the ch- massive changes that they made. As we talk through the movie. Is this the one that he would like sit in his chair in between takes and read? I guess so, yeah. Hectic. So it is the the sixth draft from November 24 of 1986, and it was revised on December 10, 1986. So but this is the draft they went into production with. Amazing. Right? And as I said, it's very different. Would he have many of those? He might. He might do. He also later on added as like a stretch goal if you gave him more money the script for bogus journey and i regret so hard that i did oh. not do that <laughs> but i did not do that so let us talk our way through bill and ted's excellent adventure i feel bad that you have his script give it back in it's a copy it's not his original oh. <laughs> man jesus christ it's a photocopy he sent out fucking like probably a hundred of these uh. All right, all right, I'm concentrating. Energy on the How pod much today. money do you think he gave? <laughs> I mean, it did cost me over $100, but yeah. that's not. But if it was his it. original, it would have cost him thousands. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of what you're saying. There's some minor details that are going through the cheese grater. Fuck, man, moment. I'm tired. You're not listening. This is going to go great. I have more notes than I've ever had for any podcast we've ever done. I think this I'm just overexcited. Superb. I'm overexcited. I need to calm down. Oh, my God. So, yeah, let's talk our way through Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Hell yeah. We open with Breakaway by the band Big Pig as the credits roll. This music is such a strong start. I'm going to talk about music as well. Yeah. Because music is really good in this movie. Yeah. And it's, there's something strange about it that nobody really ever talks about. And we'll talk about it. And the, the, there's like a, just the shape moving through gives a real like, sci-fi element to it. I can't describe it. Yeah. In a futuristic dome, we see an iris open and a large golden obelisk hexagonal thingy to send <laughs> into a, I don't know what it's called. In the script, it's a ob- black obelisk. So I don't even know what they called it. Right. <laughs> a descend into a space with a lot of uh, clock motifs inlaid onto the floor. Mm. Yeah. In the production screenplay, we originally got a whole sequence where we followed Rufus as he was like walking towards the dome and then entering it. Mm. But here we don't get that. The obelisk lands and instead we just cut to George Carlin explaining the plot of the movie for us. I fully forgot it was George Carlin. I was yeah. so stoked to see him. Hi, welcome to the future. San Dimas, California, 2688. And I'm telling you, it's great here. 
The air is clean, the water's clean, even the dirt is clean. Bowling averages are way up, mini golf scores are way down. And we have more excellent water slides than any other planet we communicate with. I'm telling you, this place is great. But it almost wasn't. You see, 700 years ago, the two great ones ran into a few problems. So now I have to travel back in time to help them out. If I should fail to keep these two on the correct path, the basis of our society will be in danger. Don't worry, it'll all make sense. I'm a professional. The little description and explanation we get up front, masterful. This is a studio note. Yeah? We got to tell people about the time travel up front. Really? People will get confused. So there was less. George Carlin wrote this. I feel like that's a, starting without this intro would be an almost very mysterious, strong start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I normally- It's I, just a tone though. Normally I hate a like clearly tacked on something at the beginning of a movie yeah. that explains the plot up front so that people don't spend like 20 minutes confused before the plot actually yeah. kicks in, right? But it's George Carlin and the way he delivers it and the like his- <laughs> The the mini bowling averages are way up, mini goals yeah. way down. It cracks me up. Like it sets a tone for what's important in this future and how it's a utopia of sorts. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So uh, George Cullen, of course, is like a comedy legend, right? He yeah. had such an amazingly massive, varied career. He reinvented himself like half a dozen times. It's, really? It's incredible. I described him to Ellie as a truth teller. He absolutely was a truth yeah. teller. Yeah. But he wasn't for a long time. Oh. He also turned himself into a truth teller after not being a truth teller. Okay. Okay. or having various phases of truth-telling. Okay. Yeah, at a certain point, he was like pastiche and parody, and then he reinvented himself. Ah. So we talked a little bit about him on Pump Up the Volume, Yeah. and there's an incredible doco, George Cullen's American Dream. If you don't know about his life, you should watch that thing if you're interested, because yeah, okay. it goes through like the whole thing. It was produced What's it by called? George Cullen's American Dream. American Dream, okay. It's produced by his daughter, Kelly, who I will also continue to, to, to talk about as we watch future Bill and Ted movies. Nice. Other possibilities for Rufus that came up in casting? Mm. Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was never going to happen because they needed the most triumphant movie yeah. before they could get Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> um, Sean Connery? Okay. Nah. Nah. Charlie Sheen. Ooh. Nah. That age wouldn't have worked, right? That feels like it was probably when it was a time van. Yeah. yeah. Right? But he, they talked about Charlie Sheen. Because that age difference wouldn't have been yeah. right. Carlin became a possibility because one of the producers of the movie had worked with him on a movie called Outrageous Fortune the year before. So that's how they ended up casting him. In San Dimas, California, Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan are... <laughs> So I have a note about the, the VHS. I yeah. don't know whether anybody watched the VHS. No, ma'am. I watched the beginning of the VHS until it upset me. Um, because it was cropped. <laughs> because it was cropped. But here's the thing. The beginning, the opening titles and the and the logos and then George Carlin's little speech is in 16 by 9 letterboxed. Yeah. In the 4-3 frame. Yeah. I remember that. And then you cut to... Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. And be, it's full frame. And it's full frame. It's not like that in the HD but version, it's, is it? It's no, full frame, not. but it's cropped. Yeah. So they've cropped the sides, but it's now going yeah. to the top uh, of the frame. Why? why? Because otherwise the credits would be off screen. <laughs> 
so it's just a choice, right? So this movie is shot in two three five aspect ratio, so it's a little bit it's a little bit um, thinner than sixteen by nine. The credits are probably outside of what we would call title safe in the business, right? <laughs> right. And so they, if, therefore, if you cropped the credit sequence, you would lose information. Right. So they just left it the way it was and then cropped into the movie once the once the actual content of the movie started. Yeah, and then the crop isn't pan and scan, so it's center like, cropped. Yeah, it's just That's center cropped, which is why I stopped watching it that way and switched yeah. to the stand version because I noticed it at first when we first meet Missy. And she's talking to them, and she and she's off screen, like her face is off. She's off screen, camera, yeah. but yeah, you right. can see her shoulder. Like it's like you, uh, she's clearly <laughs> meant to be in the shot. Yeah, sure. But you can see like the very edge of her face. It's like, oh, this is really cropped. What if all the cute stuff happens on the edge of frame? I don't remember. I'm going to switch to this. <laughs> yeah. So they're making a music video, playing terribly, and then they blow up their amps. Afterwards, we get a debate on what will make their band most triumphant. Oh, Bill believes, back and forth. Bill believes they will not be triumphant until they get Eddie Van Halen on guitar, whereas Ted thinks they need a triumphant video to get Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Originally, this was like arguing about T-shirt designs. Right. Oh, the great video, change. Not videos, yeah. But it they did, do need to learn how to play their instruments first. No, no, no. We have three movies before that. <laughs> so they're late for school. Yeah. Oh, like this is the thing about this movie. This scene of them going back and forth is just so beautiful. But like you you either stop and make notes about every single word that's said or oh, you yeah. just stop and enjoy it. I mean, that was part of the, That's the reason why I have an entire book worth of notes, right? <laughs> yeah. Because half of it is just quotes from the movie because I love every line of this movie. And then there's all the other stuff that I have learned about, the, about this movie. Oh. So... In the finished movie, we cut straight to history class. But originally in the screenplay, there's like five minutes of them traveling on a school bus. We didn't even get the garage scene. It was just them on a school bus playing air guitar and then debating about whether or not they needed T-shirts or or whatever it was, right? That doesn't make sense with them not being able to play instruments though. (laughs) Yeah. There's also a whole subplot with the popular kids. Oh. who we see at the very end of the movie giving their presentations, yeah. right? Where Bill and Ted, they have names in the script. They have whole characters, right? Really? Where Bill and Ted are friendly to everybody and don't get that they're being insulted all the time, <laughs> right? There's a nice bit where Ted asks a popular girl, Buffy, to prom, hmm. right? She says no, and then he asks her friend Jody, who says no, and then he asks both of them if either of them will go with Bill as they walk away from him laughing. He turns to Bill and asks, are there any combinations I may have missed? (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, I understand why they took all that stuff out, but that line made me giggle reading it in the screenplay. I I don't know if any of of this was actually shot or this is something that was jettisoned before they actually started production. I have heard that they did shoot an opening musical dance number that was cut out of the movie of them like air guitaring. So it's like their perspective of them rocking out as they come into the school. Right. That was choreographed by future director of Hocus Pocus, Kenny Ortega. Fuck. Okay. There is apparently there's stills that exist of that sequence. But obviously it was cut out of the movie and would have been a very different start than what, we, than different. what we get. So just a couple of things. So the way they talk to each other, how they are so clearly like dumb stoners, but they talk- They're not meant to be stoners, by the way. Oh, really? They're not meant to be stoners. They're just meant to be dumb kids. Right, oh. like, like, about, like you know, like I thought it was alluding kids. to them being stoners, but they never—they would never smoke pot. 
Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so anyway. They're too wholesome for that. True. But the way they speak to each other, being like the dumb kids. But then but having they, an incredible vocabulary. And they speak to each other almost in a scientific way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like It's just a choice. It's did that kind of writing. set a vibe going forward or was that a characterization of the vibe That's of the world? That's out of the improv, right? Let's, okay. like, let's have like people that are kind of ignorant, right? Yeah. But they also like, they've learned some, they've learned some words and they've created their own kind of language, right? Okay. And it stamps them with a personality that makes them very different to so everybody it, else in the if movie. If it's not stoner vibe, is it like kind of like young surfy kid kind no, Okay. Don't worry. They're just it's Bill just, and Ted, man. It's just evolved naturally. Just I love Bill, it. They're just Bill and Ted. And also side note, their outfits, they're fit. Oh, fucking good. Yeah. So about that, that's something that they're very colorful and very interesting, have a very interesting look. In the original screenplay, they were much more kind of like metal kids. Ah. So more, way more black, right? Less, Way less colorful. But wow. the production design, Stephen Herrick and the production designer wanted to make the movie really colorful and pop as they tra- as they travel through through time. The right? choices that so were made through this movie. Great. Yeah, because having an, having them all bright, brightly colored makes them stand out more when they're yeah. in all yeah. the different times. It's, it's really if they'd been vis- in black, then... It's a really good visual, visual yeah. trick. Yeah. It's funny that the choices that were made along this production are so integral to them now. Yeah. Yeah. Long pod, right? Mm. One of the reasons this is a long pod is because we have access to the original screenplay, right? Yeah, amazing. So, so I have all this information about how the movie evolved and changed from a production point of view yes. and from a writing creative, creative point of view that normally we don't have access to. And yeah. I want to talk about all of it because I, I, yeah, had, I, had down, read like, I had read like the first like 10 or 15 pages and flicked through that screenplay, but I read, I sat with the movie and the screenplay and went scene by scene to figure out what all the differences was. Sick. And it's a great look at how movies change once they go into production. Mm. Right now, I don't understand necessarily why all those choices were made, but we can talk about like what was cut out and what, yeah. was, what was made better and what was improved just through the physical production because movies change while they're being made. For sure. Right? Bill is being interrogated by Mr. Ryan about Napoleon. So Bill, what you're telling me essentially is that Napoleon was a short, dead dude. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You totally blew it, dude. <laughs> Ted offers Bill some positive reinforcement because they're always really supportive of each other. And Mr. Ryan makes him stand up and ask him who Joan of Arc was. Noah's wife. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, it's so good. It's so good. Like, this is the point where I was like, fuck, I don't want to take <laughs> notes anymore. The bell rings. Mr. Ryan reminds him that their final report for history is tomorrow. He asks Bill and Ted to stay back and warns them. The only thing they've learned this year is that Caesar is a salad dressing too. <laughs> and Kian is just like smiling and nodding like, yeah. Yeah, yeah that yeah. is what we, we learned. Meant that. <laughs> if they don't get an A plus on their oral report tomorrow, they will fail history and the future. Uh, <laughs> their report had better be something very special. Don't worry, it will be. <laughs> they're chatting as they're walking across the campus and we find out that the report involves expressing how historical figures from a bunch of different time periods would feel about San Dimas in 1988. They're in danger of flunking most heinously. Movie <laughs> told me so many good words. Yeah, oath. Bill's stepmom pulls up and asks them if they need a ride. Missy, I mean mom. His stepmom's cute. I Shut you, up, Ted. Remember when she, she was a senior and we were freshmen? Shut up, Ted. Dude, I totally missed this when I was younger that it's his stepmom. Like, I totally just had this weird, like, yeah, yeah. That's why, like, the the Oedipal joke at the end was always so funny to me. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. At Ted's house, Ted's dad is looking for Chekhov's keys, (laughs) and he's pissed off. The principal called and told him that Ted's flunking out, and we know what happens if Ted flunks out. 
He's headed to Oates Military Academy in mm-hmm. Alaska. Colonel Oates is very anxious to meet him. Back in the car, Ted tells Bill the news. They have to pass or there's no more band. And then in 2688 in the dome, three floating people, yeah. who I'll talk more about later, tell Rufus it is time. And we see one of them send a glowing orb of energy into the obelisk that turns it into a phone booth. <laughs> Continuity. There's a shot of Rufus's sunglasses where the phone booth is reflected in it, but it's before the obelisk turns into a phone booth. <laughs> Are we going to talk about effects? We, I mean, we can talk a little bit about effects. What do you want to talk about? Because, like, there's some strong model work in, in this movie, I feel, but I don't know where it is. There's a mix. Okay. There's a mix of stuff. So at this point, is it like... This is actually not a really big... There's some effects work in this movie, but it's not really a big effects movie. But the weird thing is... Because it's like low budget. The effects, although kind of dodgy, hold up. I think there's like one or two shots that don't really that like are showing their age. Not that they don't work; they're showing their age, right? But there's plenty of stuff that still work, that still works really well. But I don't know if it's me and the feeling of this movie, or if it's the effects that don't work, effects that do work. You know what I mean? I don't know if I just have love and I'm smoothing over the flaws. It's also the era where your ability to do things is so limited that they had to plan things particularly well. Right? Okay. It's the same as the like early CGI Jurassic Park thing. The reason Jurassic yeah. Park holds up is because they could, were very limited in what they could achieve. So what they did was work everything around it to achieve what they achieve what they could. Okay. And when you make a low budget movie in 1987 that has effects work, you got to do the same thing. You have to just be very planned out and very well thought out about how you're going to do everything. There are tons of times with the in this movie with the booth appears and disappears and we don't see it because we're on somebody else's reaction to the booth appearing or disappearing. Oh, shit. Because they can only afford to do it a couple of times. You just made me realise that. Hectic, okay. Yeah, all the time, all the way through. Be excellent to each other. (laughs) Rufus dials a number on the phone booth. It opens a hole in time and disappears into the floor. We also see two strange projections of Bill and Ted playing air guitar mm. as well. Do you reckon the coats they're wearing is to make them feel futuristic? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a strange look. It, it may be inspired by Billy. Yeah, okay. Bill and Ted are studying in Bill's room. They're trying to remember everything they know about George Washington. Which is not a lot. One, father of our country. Two, born on President's Day, which is such a... Just, uh, yeah, okay. Three, three, the dollar bill guy. Ted. Had wooden teeth, chased Moby Dick. <laughs> Wasn't that Ahab? <laughs> That's Captain Ahab, dude. <laughs> it's so good. So much fun. It's so much fun. And there's so much great detail in the room. There's like Godzilla toys and yeah. stuff. There's like a giant like mad ball with an eye that you could pull out and it would make noise. You know how I know that? Because I fucking owned one. Mad. Yeah. There I was it a visual feast in this room. It's so good. Ted yeah. remembers that George Washington is in the Disney Hall of Presidents. What did he say? Welcome to the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> is this a movie? Just to... <laughs> this is, we're, in the, we're in this land. So... <laughs> but I, I just like... Because we're going through this movie at such a hectic pace. Well, the movie is also hectically paced. I just it have a is. lot to talk about. So, uh, yeah. No, 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 sure. I just want to take a moment here and go, technique-wise... Is this a movie that impresses you both technically? Not necessarily. I think it's well do- I think it's very well written. It's stronger in some parts than it is others. I the think characters it's very, are very well shot. It's it is well shot. Mm. It's well shot on a limited budget. Sure. Like it's it's got these slow push-ins that are all throughout the movie. Stephen Herrick is like a is a 
good director. Yeah, like he is a very good, solid director, and yeah. he's making good. Cho- he's making good story choices all the way through. It's one of those movies that I just couldn't see the seams. Yeah. So I just didn't know whether it was a technically good movie. Yeah. I would say that there are scenes somewhat in some places that I see a little sure. bit, but solidly directed. Yeah. Okay. I think it's one of the reasons that it's endured. Yeah. It's because it is well, dire- is well directed. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Missy comes in with some grilled cheese sandwiches that are burnt within an inch of their life. Yeah. They're not <laughs> good sandwiches. In the script, they're burnt on one side and raw on the other, <laughs> but we don't see that. In I the love movie. that. They look disrespectfully as she bends down, checking her out. <laughs> We will talk about Bill and Ted movies and women, but later. Mr. Preston comes in and they chat, but Mr. Preston's a little distracted by Missy. Like, the thing is, is like, yeah, sure, this may be a little problematic, but like, it's just such a funny scene of the three boys being like such silly, silly boys. Just, just, you're way too horny. He sends them off with some cash to get food. So that he can sleep with Missy in <laughs> Bill's room. Now your dad's going for it in your own room. <laughs> Shut up, Ted. <laughs> Remember when I asked her to prom? <laughs> I was like, I don't care if it's problem. It's so funny. Yeah, right. Thank you. It is. It's one of those things. I just need to acknowledge it because times have changed, yeah. right? But it's still fucking hilarious. Still fucking funny. Right? Yeah. Him and Kira's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> At the Circle K, Bill and Ted sit on the curb asking people random history questions. I love that. I love Ted comes back to Bill. Okay. The lady in that car over there said that Marco Polo was in the year 1275. It's not just a water sport. I knew it. <laughs> and then there's a woman walking into the store and Ted asked, excuse me, when did the Mongols rule China? <laughs> His line delivery is like, it's a completely reasonable question to and ask like somebody. so sincere as well. Well, that's the thing about them. They are so sincere. Yeah. They're so good hearted. And they're just stoked on everything, man. Yeah. I love it. The old lady's like, I just work here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're such beautiful yeah. characters. So originally they were asking people to buy the beer. Oh, oh this is way better. And when the woman says she works there, they ask her if she will give them beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that changed. They obviously didn't want their their teenage characters trying to. That trying would to score almost beer. erase everything like that I just said. Like, I know it also just doesn't. It's just what I think. It's more realistic to what teenagers are like, yeah. but it's less realistic to what Bill and Ted are like. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. So even though this is meant to be California, they shot the movie. All of the San Dimas stuff in and around Phoenix, Arizona. Sure. Which is why it doesn't really look very Californian if, you're, if you're looking closely. This Circle K only just closed down last year. Oh, wow. Heck yeah. Dude. So it's a place that Bill and Ted fans would go to to make the pilgrimage. Mad. To, to the and K. it was a Circle K the whole time? Didn't like change brands or anything? No, it was a Circle K the whole Did time. Did they yeah. put a phone booth there? No, but they really <laughs> should have. Really right? I yeah. would have, yeah. I remember when a Circle K opened near us. Really? Yeah, there used to be one there used to be one in blank. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that I lived near uh, a Circle K. My well, I was like 12 or 13. My best friend lived around the corner from it. I would say over at his house, we would walk down to the Circle K, get the Circle K equivalent of a Slopey and a hot dog and sit on the curb and eat them like Bill and Ted. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah, You're just so wait cute. for that phone booth. Yep. And then as they're about to leave to try the Thrifty Mart, the wind kicks up. The sky clouds over suddenly and then out of a tear in time drops the phone booth. Not bad. This is definitely some model effects, right? For most of the scenes, I am going to recap the scene and then I will talk sure. about the production of the, sure. of the Trust scene. Trust the right? format, so, Brady. Yeah. So 
Greetings, my excellent friends. <laughs> so good. Lots of fun here. So the clouds, it's an optical composite over the sky of a reverse shot of milk being dropped into a water no. tank to create the clouds. That's so clever. That's clouds cool. of milk in a cloud tank. The phone landing is not a model. They just drop the full-size phone booth from out of frame with a, with a crane. In fact, when it hits the ground, you can see the slack of the cable flop Onto the side of the onto the side of the phone booth. Hectic. They're right. just dropping it into frame. Mad. There's a stunt guy in there who takes like the bump of the landing. You can see him like braced to take the bump that of the landing. That seems like such a hot ass, because I'm thinking it's coming from clouds. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's just out of frame. Yeah, it's not they a very dropped tall it drop. from the heavens. <sighs> Do you know when the Mongols ruled China? <laughs> <laughs> Rufus's response, perhaps we can ask them. He's here to help them with their history report. Another phone booth drops in. Yes. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Oh, I love the Quote dialogue. that line all the time. Yep. Bill, what? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Scripted as strange things are afoot at the 7-Eleven. Ah. 7-Eleven would not let them shoot in front of a 7-Eleven. Mm-hmm. And they regretted that choice. I definitely feel like you pull out the strange things are afoot in D&D all the time. Strange too. things. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. Other Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. Band out of the booth. And this is just fucking magical. They're so stoked on time travel. Other Bill and Ted tell them that they're going to have the most excellent adventure in history. They know how Bill and Ted feel. They didn't believe themselves when they were themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, if it's really us... What number are you thinking of? 69, 69. dudes. <laughs> As a child, I had no idea this was such a nice number. <laughs> <laughs> they have to get back to the history report. They tell themselves to trust Rufus, but they need to have a little chat with him. So they go off and have a chat. Ted does turn back and tells other Ted to give his love to the princesses. He'll find out. Oh, I love everything about this movie. That scene has just got me so amped. He also reminds himself to wind his watch. He will not. Yeah. Arthur, Bill and Ted phone booth out of there and Rufus ushers them into his booth. They need a second. So they go and have a little private talk. What if we're lying to ourselves? Dude, why would we lie to ourselves? <laughs> That's all that needs to be said. They end up getting in. Gentlemen, we're history. <laughs> We travel through the circuits of time. <laughs> <laughs> this is very early CGI. Yeah? Very early CGI. All oh, right. Yeah. It's the kind of effects that like, it's a, it's like, um, okay, how to phrase this? It's like early wormhole from uh, Sliders. Donnie Darko. Well, no. Donnie Darko's, Darko is like 10, year, 10 years after this, more than 10 years after this. Yeah, I know, but like the wor the wormhole idea. But Sliders is also another good pull. Yeah. Watch Donnie Darko and then watch The Abyss back to back and be like, mm, The Abyss wants its uh, pseudopod back. Really? Yeah. Okay. Straight up lifted this pseudopod <laughs> from The Abyss. Yeah, fair. The okay. threads that are going around yeah. the thing, it's just the pseudopod from I The I haven't seen The, the abyss, abyss in a long time. That's We've talked about that because it doesn't exist in HD. Uh, All James Cameron needs to do is tick a box. Son of a bitch. <laughs> the booth exits in Austria, 1805. The French have just invaded. We cut to what they see and they see stock footage. I thought this was old footage. <laughs> it's battle shots from the 1956 version of War and Peace. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. 
the Tolstoy novel. Yeah. Yeah. So they there's these giant like like French Revolution battles and battle scenes. Yeah. And yeah none of it is from from this movie. They just yeah. took footage from it from another movie. That's kind of common to have this that kind of effect in comedy movies. A little as well, bit. Though. A little bit. Yeah. It's one of those things where as a kid, I I knew that it was from an, another movie. Like I knew that it yeah. wasn't. But it integrated so much better in VHS because they both looked as poor as each other. <laughs> and now the chromatic aberration in mm. the stock footage the way that the reds red screen and the blues shift against each other yeah it just looks like it looks like they cut to stock footage yeah yeah it's, it's wild they they cinematically time <laughs> time traveled as well nearby napoleon comes out of his tent and uses a spyglass to see bill and ted waving at him yeah <laughs> He Rufus looks, is like he, he seems like he's super far away. Yeah, it's the it's a little screwy. They're trying yeah. to do something. This is this is what I mean about seams, right? They're trying to do something that they don't have the budget to do. They can't have a big battle, so they have to yeah. cut to this. And then the geography is a little screwy because it was probably may not have been shot in the same place at the same time. At the same time, this with. Uh, Napoleon is the most uh, Bugs Bunny esque yes. part of the movie. Yeah. Napoleon orders a cannon fired at them, but then there is a blast behind Napoleon and he flies through the air yeah. and into the hole created by the phone booth. <laughs> the tear in time. And then back in San Dimas, the booth lands in front of Ted's house. Ted's like, where are we now? Oh, it's my house. Yeah. <laughs> they chat with Rufus. They can go anywhere they want. There's a phone book. They just have to dial. Yeah. Right. Most importantly... Ted's watch has to keep ticking in real time for the San Dimas time so that they don't miss their history report. We are not getting into the discussion about time travel in this movie. Thank you. I'm warning you now. Look, I just want to put, there is a note here. I knew it. There I is a note. feel it. But my note <laughs> feel is, your note. there is a point where Ellie went on a rant to me. Uh, when Billy, the kid comes in, Ellie went on a rant about how, how can they go back in time and not affect the futures that they're in? It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's, I almost does. said the line for, that you use from the, Looper. Yeah. The, we're not going to sit here and yeah. lay out. <laughs> but I was like, look, we're just, we're not doing it. And then I end up saying, well, technically they always went back in time Rufus is just assuring they went back in time yeah so in the background Napoleon's legs yeah <laughs> flop out of the tree <laughs> it's so good yeah Rufus leaves and then sends the booth back so they can use it this has been a most unusual day yeah <laughs> also is it just me or is like Rufus's style kind of back in right now a little bit yeah <laughs> Napoleon falls out of the tree it's the short dead dude from their history review. <laughs> Bill has an idea. Maybe they can collect some historical figures. Let's just kidnap people from history. It'll yeah. be great. I love how they're not even like two ways about it. They're There's just no like, like bag them. <laughs> later. Yeah. They drop off Napoleon with Ted's little brother, Deacon. Deacon, you have to watch this guy. His name is Napoleon. He is a very famous French dude. We have decided to collect other important figures from history for an oral report we are doing. While we were gone, you were not to let him out of your sight. Yep, that's yeah. an excellent plan. Take him to the movies or something. Yeah, they do Napoleon dirty. He's just, <laughs> oh, he's short. He's a little kid then. Yeah. As there is like, there are two instances of that that we will talk about yeah. later. As they're leaving, Ted's dad wants to talk to him alone. We stick with Bill and we overhear part of the conversation and we find out that's it. Ted's being sent I to- I totally forgot how intense his dad was. Yeah. Shit, Ted. Sorry, man. Ted's being sent to Oates Military Academy in the morning. Bill uses the phone booth to call the house. 
and tells dad they found his keys. Uh, this is Deputy Van Halen. I'm new, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they need Sigmund Freud, beef oven. <laughs> Bill asks, because they're going through what they need for their report. Bill asks if they need one for Western movement in America in the 19th century. Yeah. Well, let's reach out and touch somebody. <laughs> New Mexico, 1879. The booth lands between two outhouses. Yeah. Which is just... Brilliant. Again, just storytelling choices. That's not something that's in the screenplay. That's yeah. just the director like making a making a choice, right? Yeah. That's a good time. How's it going, old West dude? <laughs> I love that. This is like the perfect example of an adventure movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like oh, they barely are in one spot for very long, but it's just such a good ride. Yeah. They head into the saloon and order two beers. <laughs> Didn't even card us. We're gonna have to remember this place. <laughs> <laughs> Which in the original screenplay, ties back to them trying to buy beer uh, out the front of the 7-Eleven. Yeah. Billy the Kid enters. He's my favorite. With a gunshot. He is the best. He's the greatest. He needs two men. Who's with him? Where with you, Billy the Kid? Billy comes over to them. Here's the deal. Would I win? I keep. Would you win? I keep. Sounds good, Mr. the Kid. <laughs> Billy the Kid's played by Dan Shaw. He's still working. He's still around. Really? Uh, this is the thing that he's kind of like most well known for, but he's just a working, working actor. A lot of the people that are that are like the historical figures, except for one in particular, are just like, uh, well, he's kind of a working actor too. I just oh, I think I know which one. Are just working actors. Yeah. So they play poker badly. Billy's dealing them good cards. Yeah. They do not have a poker face. No. Well, Bill tells Ted to have a poker face and then he's like, dude, three aces. Yeah. <laughs> Bill looks so cool with his little cigar in his mouth. Yeah. He's trying. He's trying. Yeah. Another player accuses them of cheating and we get a classic saloon fight. It's funny because like, I feel like the way Billy enters the bar, he could have just like intimidated the guys they're playing poker with. But, but we've got to have a saloon yeah. fight. Oh, We're in the I'm old so west. down for it. <laughs> we, even get, we even get a bar slide. Yeah. I know. <laughs> which we'll talk best. about in a second. Bill and Ted keep out of it. They're just like sitting at the, like this chaos and they're still just sitting in their chairs yeah. until four guys kind of surround them. They tell them that they're totally weak. <laughs> yes. We are totally weak and they offer them free passes to Waterloops, home of excellent <laughs> water slides. The tall cowboy that is behind them is Dan Bradley this movie's stunt coordinator. Ah. He would go on to become a famed second unit action director. I've mentioned him before on the podcast. He okay. directed second unit on the like Born Identity movies. He's like known wow. for his, he's known for like his car chases. Yeah. He's a car chase guy. He was Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th part six for a couple of days because he's the guy, he's the stunt guy that got fired ah. from Jason Lives because his performance was terrible as Jason oh, right. in the paintball scene. Yeah, yeah. So that's the only movie where two different people play Jason. Yep. And it's because Dan Bradley got fired. Mm. They get their heads rammed through a wall into <laughs> How does into a through that wall? Into a dressing room. Yeah. Where there's uh women getting dressed. I love that <laughs> Billy pulls them out. And then Cedric to put his head back in. <laughs> They're cornered. They Melvin some guys. It'll come back in the sequel. Yeah. They basically give the guy a wedge, two yeah. guys a wedgie. The gun goes off and they escape. Billy runs with them. They saved his life. Did they? Yeah, I don't know. So they he, kind of so, caused there to be danger. So Billy's gonna place. go. Billy's gonna go with them. Billy the kid would later be murdered by his ex gunmate and friend turned lawman Pat Garrett in 1881. 
At least you got to go <laughs> on an real world figure. Okay, sorry, thank you. <laughs> At least you got to go on an excellent adventure first. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient Greece, 410 BC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Billy is playing with a Nerf football. Yes, he is. Yeah. In the original screenplay, they tell him what the Nerf football is and tell him to play with it so that he doesn't do any damage to the to the time while he's waiting with the booth. Ah, uh, clever. They just left damage to the time out entirely. Yeah, yes. they just gave up on that, yeah. right? Yeah. So Bill and Ted climb up some kind of like, you know, marbly steps and they hear overhear a name, uh, Socrates. <laughs> Ted tells Bill to look him up in their history book. It's under Socrates. <laughs> <laughs> they wander up. People are looking at them very strangely. They philosophize with him. Yep. I love this. All we are is dust in the wind, dude. Socrates is ecstatic. <laughs> Socrates' is acting is so funny. It's Even fantastic. when he's in the back of scenes, he's killing it. Tony Sedman, so he was a British actor. Yeah. That is, again, just a working actor. This role, like he just knocks it out of the park. Yeah. He's amazing in this movie. Like they know what film they're making in yeah. this and they're having fun with it. Subtitled, like sands in the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fantastic. Oh, it's so good. They take him with, with them. Socrates died by forced suicide after losing a one-day trial for corrupting the young in, three, yeah. in 399 BC. Yeah. This location is a monument to Mussolini in Rome. No. Okay. Yep. It's also in the center of a roundabout. <laughs> Okay. Which is why this scene is shot so oddly. Why There's all these like tight, strange angles of the building. And the reason is is because if they go any wider, you will see the traffic that is encircling the building. I just thought it was a really shitty set that they built. No, it's a full size like like Italian monument. How would that be cheaper than building a little shitty foam set? Well, Dino De Laurentiis is Italian. Oh... It's also why the whole scene is in ADR because it was just traffic noise. Yeah. Like Rome traffic honking and beeping. Who <laughs> picked that up? I didn't even realise. They shot in Italy for like 10 days. Oh, wow. It added so much production value to the movie to be able to go and do to be able to go and do that. Mad. And the only reason they could do that is because of Dino De Laurentiis being an Italian, yeah. Italian filmmaker. Yeah, That's mad. fantastic. Yeah. They travel to England in the 15th century. This is also Italy. Oh, right, yeah. This is a castle in Italy. Sure. This is the castle that Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes got married at. Ah, random. <laughs> Which is just a random piece of information. I dead set thought this was just like fake wood castle. It's a real castle. Hectic. Yeah. Okay, wow. No wonder the production value holds up. Yeah, so a bunch of the places that they travel to right, are like places in Italy. Billy is dealing with the oddity of time travel with the greatest of ease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They ask a man where they can find any personages of historical significance. The man points to the castle that's just there. <laughs> this dude cracks me up, especially in his later bit. So it's not in the draft that I have, but at one point that guy was a character in the movie called John the Surf that went with them and he was the only non-famous historical person. Oh, ah. okay. There were lots of other people that they played around with. Og the caveman, originally when the caveman Mad. went them. Babe Ruth. Yeah. Who... Shows up in in face of music, ah. and then someone else that I will talk about later that okay. they replaced somebody with, okay. who was in an earlier draft of the screenplay. Intriguing. Yeah. Uh, is it someone not good? We'll talk about it when we get. Okay. There. Kira's favorite scene's coming up. It's happening! It's happening! It's happening! Yeah. <laughs> so, Bill and Ted are looking up at the castle, and they spot the princesses, and instantly fall in love. 
But it's a history report, not a babe report. <laughs> but those are historical babes. Yes. In the background. In the background. You, go on, just do it because I know you want to. In the background, that because they tell Billy the Kid and, and, and Sir Crates to stay where they are and so Billy the Kid gets his football out of his backpack <laughs> yeah. and starts teaching Sir Crates how to throw the football back and forth with him while they wait for Bill and Ted and Socrates is like not having it and then is and then by the end of the little interaction they're like throwing it back and forth and having a lovely and time. And they in become, the back for a while because yeah. the thing goes on for a while and Socrates like throws it behind his back and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So like it's fake him out. It's so cute. It's so the greatest part of the Ellie this also loved that. It's so good. Yeah. It's Kira's favorite part of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so all that stuff was in the screenplay. That was they tried to write jokes into the background, which is why we get Napoleon's legs hanging, which is why yeah. the Nerf football is a thing throughout the, throughout the movie. They tried to insert that stuff all the way through it because they had the idea that there should be like funny stuff happening in the yeah, background. Yeah, I love that. When they're just doing like exposition. And they're oblivious to it. stuff. Yeah. yeah. They have to go meet the historical babes. <laughs> <laughs> they must be the princesses you told us about. Inside the castle. They are hiding in suits of armor as guards walk past. I love that bit. I love that bit. They don't show them getting in, just like we just in. pan past people walking past and then the suits of armor turn. That is real armor because the production could not afford to buy or, wow. or, rent or make suits. So they are in like What real, about when they fall down the they're stairs? They're in real heavy armor. Holy shit. <laughs> they like fuck around. I'm Darth Ted. I'm Luke Bill. They yeah. pretend to have a lightsaber fight because, of course, they do. I will they... never rule the universe with, with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're not my father. <laughs> Ted ends up knocked down a set of stairs, and Bill runs down just in time to see Ted stabbed through the chest and killed by a guard. Yeah. The first time I watched this movie, I was so upset. Yeah. I thought they had killed off. Ted. Yeah. How could I they? thought there was going to be, first time I watched it, saw, thought the same thing. And I thought the movie was then going to be like, have a subplot of going back in time to save. To save. Yeah, yeah. Right. See, I didn't think about time travel that way. I was a much smaller child yeah. at that point. Right. Bill sneaks down and then mourns his friend. A guard finds him and Bill just attacks him in rage. He actually acts in this scene. He he has some emotion. You kill Ted, you medieval dickweed. (laughs) Okay, the dialogue doesn't match the emotion, but it's there. The dickweed gets Bill down. And then just in time, bonk, Ted hits the guy over the head with a leg of ham. I wait. Best thing. I love his count his physical performance in this scene. He throws the way he throws up his hands after he throws the leg of ham away makes me laugh so much. There are so many things in this movie that Keanu does just like physically with like a like a head roll or like his hands a smile, where he is always like thinking to himself that he's so present in his performance that it is just wonderful. I fell out of my suit when I hit the floor. That explanation. That explanation is the fucking funniest. That is the second most Looney Tunes things that happen. In the commentary, they're like, this is so dumb. This makes no sense whatsoever. But 
it makes sense for Bill and Ted. Yeah. Like, yeah. forget, like, logic, that's the thing about this movie. This is the, 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 the thing that I sometimes talk about. And one of the reasons I get upset with upset with the way that people talk about movies on the internet, particularly YouTube, is because it takes all the fucking fun out of it. One of the things that's great about this, uh, great about this movie is the fact that they don't care about the logic of the time travel or the logic of sometimes what's happening in a scene, but they're true to the emotions of the characters. 100%. And that is so much more important to a story than Their than, world than is just a little bit different to us and it's a little bit more than tuny. Lo- yeah. Logic. yeah, it's just fa- it's fantastic. They hug and then break away from each other and we do get an unf- unfortunate F word slow. Yeah, it's of the time. Yeah, so in the commentary track, Solomon and Matheson express regret for that. They're meant to be like fifteen-year-old boys mm. that would never be able to admit that they would love that they, that they love each other, yeah. yeah, and that that kind of physicality would make them would make them uncomfortable. Yes, which is very off the time. They also talk about the fact that they would not make that joke now. Yeah. They would absolutely yeah. positively not make that not make that joke. hundred percent. In the courtyard, they meet the princesses. <laughs> Elizabeth, played by Kimberly Cates, she's now a producer and CEO of Big Screen Entertainment Group. She moved oh. into producing. There you go. And then Joanna, played by Diane Franklin. Should I know that name? She was just coming off Better Off Dead. Oh, She's right. John Cusack's love interest in Better Off Dead. She's the oh. French exchange student in Better Off Dead. Right after this movie, she got married and had kids and didn't act again until 2006. Right. So she's still working sporadically. But yeah. Because they're not in Bogus Journey, hey. They recast in all three movies. I thought so. The princesses are never the same. Okay. I have a story about one of the princesses in Bogus Journey. That I'm saving for. Ah, <laughs> they flirt. Ted recites them some lyrics where Man. he rhymes time with time. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly in love. We find out that they're to be married off today to two very ugly men. <laughs> they have to hide from their father. They ask them to help them escape. They agree. By this time, they've moved inside. They open a door and they just stand. The king is and the ugly guys are just standing there, which I love. Yeah. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? <laughs> royal ugly rich dudes, I think. No, royal ugly dudes. Is that what he said? I am the Earl of Preston. <laughs> and I am the Duke of Ted. I love that he's holding his the vest. The way, again, his physicality, the way that he grabs his vest. So beautiful. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Execute them, bogus. <laughs> This movie is so fun. It really is just like happiness in a movie. It really is. One of the things that I think the reason that Bill and Ted has endured for so long is how positive and and kind-hearted and warm and open they are with Mm. each other. They are like never really negative about anything. Anything. They always just roll with whatever's whatever's happening. Yeah. And I honestly think that's one of the reasons that, that this movie is so joyful. Yeah. Because they're just always having a good time, making the best of every situation. The best example is even at the start when they're like going in a loop and they like need this so that we can do this and they find out that they have a problem. They agree with each other. Yeah, they agree <laughs> and they go, excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then air guitar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We cut to an axe smashing down onto a chopping block. They're about to be executed. Mm. John the Surf rolls in with the booth tied down to a cart. Witches, heretics, demons. So funny. And when they did it, they were on fire. They fell from the sky. (laughs) Up on a balcony is the king with the royal ugly dudes and the princesses. Off with their heads. 
the executioners bring down the axes, but they miss because it's Billy the Kid is so great. It's Goosebumps. so good. Goosebumps. <laughs> I love this scene this so much. This is definitely Billy the Kid's idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I love how when they get their heads pulled down to the blocks, I think it's Bill that goes, Ted, my friend, I think our journey has taken a very dark <laughs> turn. turn or yeah. something like that. It was so good. Bill, What? I believe our adventure through time has taken a most serious turn. They jump onto the wagon with the booth and then they escape. In the script, there's heaps more business. Billy the Kid actually shoots his gun at like a pot of boiling oil, right? And drops it on some dudes. Uh, The princesses raise a gate to help them. So they were actually active in this sequence. Uh, But obviously they just couldn't afford to do all that stuff. So they just ride out of the castle and knock a bunch of stuff over. They're being chased. Once they get kind of out into the woods, Bill dials as a guy with a, with a flail. Is that a flail? He's got a, yeah, ball, ball and chain. I think it is a flail. Yeah, I think it's a flail. What I would call a bommy knocker is a, a kid. bommy knocker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the script, that man is referred to as the mountain of flesh. Okay. Okay. Yep. Bill gets the operator telling him that the number he's dialed isn't in service, <laughs> <laughs> and he tries another one. They go. As the booth falls through the time tear, the antenna is hit by the flail. Oh, that's what happened. I've missed that every watch. I've never noticed that. It's always something. I just thought it was panic and like the rope or something. Yeah. Oh my God. Brody thickness. (laughs) They shoot through the circuits of time and land in 2688 in the dome. There is so much going on here that I yeah. have to talk about. Awesome. So much going on. You haven't you haven't been saying how much this is diverted from the other script. Like, has it been heaps? You've I've, said little I've mentioned bits. It every, I've mentioned it every time. But is it massive changes so far? It's like different scenes. It's like different configurations of scenes, right? Like, yeah. like I said, at the beginning, there was so this whole So there's not a whole, whole scene intro. that's been cut? There is some stuff. There is some stuff okay. like that. Yeah. So, so I'm going to talk through the scene and then I'll talk about some some detail stuff that's in the scene and cool. also some casting stuff. I'll talk a lot. I'll save that to the end of talking about the scene. So Bill and exit the booth where are we i don't know but they sure play excellent music <laughs> we see the three most important people in the world that's what they're called in the screenplay yes right? they're sitting in floating chairs it's you yeah it's us who are we <laughs> <laughs> they do the air guitar sign yeah and bill and ted reflect them the causality of this movie is fucking wild <laughs> there is like two different air guitar things that they do. There's the little, like, like when things are going mad and they go, and then there's the big, like, salute one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More people enter and start doing the same thing. The song in this sequence is called In Time by Robbie Robb, and it's great, yeah. This scene actually gives me goosebumps. It gives me chills, yeah. Yeah, It gives me me chills. It's so beautiful. Ted thinks they want him to say something, so Bill makes something up. (laughs) Be excellent to each other. And party, party on, on dudes. dudes. The causality is funny in this scene. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Socrates, there's a cutaway shot of Socrates in the booth where he laughs at them. That <laughs> is one. That is just wonderful. <laughs> they say, we take you back with us, but it's a history report, not a future <laughs> report. And then they get back in the booth and exit. There is a weird shot in here as they go. Wait, yeah, yeah. I'm going to oh, talk about it in a second. It? Okay. I'm going to talk about Spot it. Yeah, I'll talk about it in a second. Okay, so so many things. Well, actually, that's what I'm going to talk about first. I didn't realize it was next in my notes. <laughs> first, when the booth leaves, it's do- a face, it's dummies. Right? <gasps> that's what it is. It's dummies in the booth. Oh. It's dummies or miniatures 
or like mo- like model versions because the the cut is so weird. Kira and I have sp- yeah, spotted yeah, it before. Yeah, I've seen it before. It's like mannequins. It's great. I, that's something I only noticed when we watched the movie. For the, I watched it, noticed it for the first time when we watched the movie. Because the face 4K. is yeah. meant to be Bill's face, but it's not Bill's it's face. Just it's just a, it's a yeah. carved yeah. version of his face because yeah, it's a mannequin. Right. Because it's a mannequin for the shot of them going down into the floor. Now I don't know if it's a, if they did it as a model, if it's full size, if it's what, but there is. It's definitely a dummy slash model slash mannequin version. Of sure, them. sure, sure. Thank right. you. The three important people that are floating, no wires. If it's not wires, how did they do it? Uh, right, hold on, hold coming on. Coming out of the wall. Hold on. Behind them. Ah. On the right track. They're sitting on chairs attached to essentially the end of a seesaw. <laughs> I that love is that. counterweighted and being operated by a pole going through the wall of the set. Oh, I love that. Which is why we only ever see them directly front on. That's fantastic. And that's why that's why their capes would be so long as well. They're like dressed it's, for It's a, hiding yeah. everything, yeah. So they were written as being played by members of the band ZZ Top. Oh, there's so many things in here that like they wanted actual famous people for. But of course they couldn't get them. But they did end up with famous people. You don't know who those people oh. are, but they're, but they're famous people. The leader is the big man. That's Clarence Clemens of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. He's Bruce oh, okay. Springsteen's saxophone player. <laughs> yeah. I grew up seeing that guy in Bruce Springsteen music videos. <laughs> Did you know it was him when you first watched it? No. <laughs> I don't think my mother knows that it's him. <laughs> but it's like, that's Clarence. When suddenly the door lifted open and blew off down the street. And a large shadow He passed away a couple of, couple of years ago, but like I grew up listening to that guy play saxophone. Mad. My mom's like a massive Bruce Springsteen fan, so uh-huh. it's like it's in my blood. Martha Davis of the Motels is okay. one of the other people. They're a seminal new wave band. Okay. And the other guy is Fee Waybill of the band The Tubes, who are like a 70s rock band that are also like- I know none of them. They are floating above a plinth. Yeah. 
with some interesting detailing. And this is detail <laughs> that went unnoticed and was only rediscovered when the movie came out in 4K. Yeah. Because nobody from production room remembered it was there and you couldn't see it on the previous versions of the movie. There is a Circle K logo on the plinth. They are floating above the Circle K. I love that. <laughs> love that. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And then, yeah, music. So... This is very much a, like before grunge, it's the hair metal era. Yeah. It's the Van Halen era, Poison, Warrant, all the extreme, all those kind of hair metal bands. Yeah. Right. None of their music is in the movie because they couldn't afford to get that music. in uh. the movie. So what they did instead was they hired non-famous bands, up and coming bands to write songs for the movie. Anyone we know of today? No, none of them really kind of like broke and became big, but it's the reason that the music fits the movie so well yeah. is because lots of the songs were written for the movie. So we end up with, song, with, with songs like Breakaway, which is the opening, yeah. and then this song, In Time. This song is so good. Which is, which is a great song for the scene. It's the yeah. reason that this scene gives you, gives you chills. In the production script, this scene takes some diversions. Okay. Ah. So we get some diversions here. First, we get some time in the future, do we? Well, first at the end of this scene, originally Rufus steps out of the shadows to tell to the important people that it's okay, everything is under control. Okay. We then cut to Bill and Ted in the booth, traveling through the circuits of time, talking about the booth being acting weird and being broken, which does happen in the movie, but it happens a little bit later. Yeah. And then what is in the script that is not in the movie is another phone booth pulls up alongside them nice. and in it is other Bill and Ted holding up a set of keys and giving them a thumbs up. Uh, uh. Probably for production reasons, they couldn't film that scene. Yeah. So do you reckon a lot of what they cut out was just things like that? Th things that were expensive for things that were expensive for production, things that for f like the physicality of production, they couldn't, they couldn't make work or make sense or, yeah. or, or whatever. Yeah. So there are whole scenes cut out, but only like complementary scenes. It's just, they did slim down exposition, yeah. right? They decided that they didn't need to explain you don't. a bunch of stuff, which they don't, yeah. right? Cause in the script, they over explain some things Yeah. and then stuff like that, which sets up the end of the, sets up the end of the movie. But honestly, do we miss it? A line of dialogue does it. A line of dialogue does it. This yeah. is an effect sequence yeah. that is expensive to shoot. You need to, you need, well, you don't need two booths, but you need to shoot it twice and then do all the visual effects behind it. Yeah. So it costs cool, cool, money cool. to make that scene happen. So you just take the scene out. Is 10 million back in that? Not, back a, lot in, of, not a lot of money. Okay. This is a low budget movie. Okay. In our version of the movie, we just cut to Ziggy Pig <laughs> and Ice Cream Parlor and Activity Center. In the script, this and the bowling scene have already happened. So they ah. shifted them in the edit to later into the, into the movie, which makes sense. I feel so bad for anyone who has to deal with the Ziggy Pig people. <laughs> Those two gentlemen... <laughs> Credited as ugly waiter and stupid waiter, <laughs> bring out the Ziggy Pig, the single greatest ice cream spectacle known to man, to deliver it to Napoleon, Dickon, and two young girls. That is the screenwriters, Ed Solomon. <laughs> I love that. And Chris Matheson. On the commentary track and in the script, there's something that never clicked with me about this scene. Yesterday, this clicked with me. Dickon has taken Napoleon on a double date. Yeah. <gasps> Shit, I didn't think about it in that I didn't, way. I've, I've seen this movie hundreds of times. I've never thought about the fact that he's on a double date. They I take thought, Napoleon on a double date. My read of that is they're just 
Deacon's two friends. They're not. In the script, Napoleon is on a double date. Oh, that is a little problematic. It it's also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> is they in the script is there more to this scene that no, spells that out? No. Or? They just it's a line of dialogue in the in the script and on the commentary they talk about the fact that Deacon has taken his girlfriend and a friend on a double on a double date. Like they were teenagers. Okay. Because okay. Nakuza Napoleon is a short man that looks like a child. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> he looks like an adult child. Yeah, he gets done dirty a little bit. Yeah. Napoleon, of course, is a dick and eats the eats the last scoop of ice cream, upsetting his date. Mm. The waiters come back and pin a badge on him as they sing the Ziggy Pig song. And he keeps it on there because he thinks it's a medal for honor. Stick it next to his medals. Yeah. yeah. I love him like licking his, like running his fingers through the table and licking his fingers yeah. afterwards. <laughs> for the ice cream. Back in time, Bill and Ted ride the booth through a loop. <laughs> yeah. They like a roller at, coaster. Yeah. I love that they're like, oh my God, what's that? And then they're, everyone in the booth is just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, they land in Austria. <laughs> Sigmund Freud is exiting his office. Bill has said, how much time have we got? Tons. Why? Extra, Extra credit. credit. <laughs> Billy lassos him. They and they drag up. him into the into the into the booth. Oh, it's so good. Look, to but to be fair, if you're getting kidnapped into a time adventure, I'm in from that point on. Like, you kidnapped me, yeah, sure, but I'm having a good time now that we're here. Mm. Sigmund last words. Before he so you're died. calling him fruit now. I always call him fruit. I never call him. I have to stop myself from calling him fruit. I have to stop myself from calling Socrates Socrates. Yeah. yeah There's fair. another one that is just part of my life. <laughs> Fruit's last words before he died. This is absurd. <laughs> Love it. In Kassel, Germany in 1810, they just walk in and pick up Beethoven's chair. Yeah. And <laughs> just stool, take him away. And walk away with him. Socrates bows as they leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's so absurd. It's so good. By 1810, uh, Beethoven was already death and he died of some combination of alcoholic psoriasis, syphilis, infectious hepatitis, or probably lead poisoning. They lived an interesting life in that time. In Orleans, France in 1429... Joan of Arc prays for God to bless her in a mission to drive the accursed English out of France. <laughs> the booth flashes in and Ted reaches out to her like God reaching for Adam on the roof of the Sistine Chapel. I love it. Joan of Arc is played by Jane Wyland. She's the bass player in the new wave band, The Go-Go's. So she's a laid out where she was wearing uh, Billy's hat. And I was like, you are so pretty. In the kitchen? Yeah. yeah. They have a little flirtiness in that sequence. Yeah. But I'll, I will talk about that sequence when we, when okay. we get to it because it's, it's interesting. Joan of Arc was burnt at the stake for heresy by the English in 1431 yeah. at age 19. <laughs> the, oh. the realness of what they sent some of these people back into was a oh, little Have crazy. you noticed a theme that I'm working with? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Out of Mongolia, 1209, motherfucking Aoleong as Genghis Khan. I fucking thought it was. What a man. What a man. They lure him into the booth with a Twinkie. (laughs) Oh, my God. Genghis Khan's cause of death is up for debate, but it seems most likely he died from plague, which is not a nice way to go. Definitely not. No. I mean, 
Ellie said this at the time. She was just like, why do they want this guy? He's such a bad guy. And I was just like, hmm, arguably so is Abe Lincoln. <laughs> he's also responsible for a lot of modern Asian culture yeah. and the way he's still, his campaign still affects the way that we think about lots of Asian nations. Yeah. I was obsessed with Genghis Khan when I was a kid and yeah. his son Kublai Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Obsessed. Not good people, but definitely no, did some crazy things. I was just fascinated things. by the idea that he, he conquered like the whole, like almost the whole yeah. world at that yeah. point. In the White House in 1863, Handy Graham, <laughs> <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, puts on his hat and opens the door to his office in the White House and Genghis Khan just jumps him and drags him into the booth. <laughs> yeah. How did they convince Genghis the, the, to, to join in this? The language barriers that they're breaking down right now, very impressive. It's just pure positivity. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln, of course, was assassinated at Ford's Theatre by John Wilkes Booth in 1865. Listen, I'm not saying that Bill and Ted are responsible for everybody in this movie's horrific deaths. <laughs> but they but afterwards, be. they did not have such an excellent adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they got to go on an excellent adventure. I mean, they actively could have been the cause for people thinking that Joan of Arc was a witch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Cut to they're ro- riding in the booth like it's a canoe. <laughs> Billy and Socrates are acting like they're ri- riding a roller coaster. Abraham Lincoln's like, why are you so calm? <laughs> it's buried in the mix. They still have tons of time, but they're out of control. And they need to stop and fix the booth. And then Ted spots that the antenna is busted from where it was hit. Wait, I mean, you guys are going to think I'm an idiot. I mean, we do anyway. But like something that's so interesting and that is never really brought up in another time travel movie is that their time is always their time, right? So they can't go back and just take another time. You know what I mean? No, the clock is always ticking in San Diego. So if they miss something in their time, they they've missed it. They can't yeah. go back and do well, it. Well, they can go back to it, but they weren't there to begin with. Yes. 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 Because that's important. Later. That's just a really interesting concept that like is lost it's, in this movie. It's really. really interesting, but also like who cares? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah. By this point, I had long ago stopped taking notes. <laughs> It's like okay, I have all the notes, okay. clearly. At a bowling alley, yeah. Napoleon's cheating. He changes his score from 43 to 143. <laughs> he doesn't realise that you can see it on the screen. Pretty, yeah. Also, how crazy is it that scores used to be handwritten and projected on yeah. the bowling alley? <laughs> Even when I was a teenager, we had electric scoring. Electronic scoring. Deacon and the girls ditch him. Yeah, I love that. Uh, after he bowls, slides halfway down a lane swearing. I love that Deacon was given money too and just was like, no, nah, fuck you. You got to pay for yourself. I'm leaving you behind. Well, yeah, because as Napoleon goes to leave to find them, the manager confronts him and they haven't paid yet. He gets kicked out. Napoleon puts his little hat back on and I always feel bad for him in this scene. Yeah. Aww. like I actually, he lost his little friends? Yeah, I actually feel like, I remember like like feeling heart sore for Napoleon when I was, when I was younger. Napoleon's played by an Australian actor Oh. Named Terry Camilleri. He was on the Arnie Jack show, which we yeah. talked about. Yeah. In an unspecified role. I couldn't figure out what, what he was in that. His first movie is Peter Weir's first movie, The Cars That Ate Paris. The future promises great things. For our town. The light is at the end of the tunnel. Welcome to Paris. 
No one leaves Paris. No one. Okay. About an outback town where the residents cause tourists to have accidents so that they can loot them. Mad. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. The cover of that movie is iconic. It's a it's a V-dub beetle covered in spikes, which George Miller repurposed. I feel like I've seen that. George Mil- Miller repurposed for a vehicle in Fury Road. Mad. Hey. As a tribute to his mate, Peter Weir. I love ah, that. Cool. Yeah. Terry Camilleri is still acting. He's in an episode of Preacher from 2019. Cool. Originally, this was not Napoleon. Oh. This was Hitler. Oh. I thought it was. This movie was written with Napoleon as Hitler. Yep. So we were meant to like feel sad about Hitler being abandoned in San Dimas. (laughs) Maybe it was Deacon's. No, I can't say that. Yeah, probably a good thing that they asked. It was a good switch. It's a good change. That is a strong choice. I mean, it makes sense for them to have had Hitler on the list of uh, historical figures that you'd go back in time and see. Like every go back in time and see historical figures, people like movies. Yeah. You go like Hitler's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it makes sense for him to be on the list. It's just then. The implications of that. Yeah and, yeah. and all of these characters we come to love and you can't do that with Hitler. Yeah, even Genghis Khan is a little shaky, but the way Alion plays him, man, it's so good. Yeah. San Dimas, California, 1 million BC. Ted hands out pudding cups while Bill fixes the antenna. <laughs> it's good that he thought to bring pudding cups. Yeah. Well, it's a snack break because they're studying, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is probably a good time for us to have a little little break i didn't bring snacks but but i did bring something fun for us to do yeah. while they take a little break and repair and repair the booth this is fun i am the very <laughs> proud owner of several boxes of bill and ted's uh, most triumphant trading cards no so i bought us each a little packet of bill and ted trading cards to open they actually exist from yeah you would have found them as part- from 1991 we had we these. had these as as um uh, party favors at our wedding that's right i have bought three boxes of these cards i have one box that is sealed that i will never open nice we, I have a box that I have opened and I still have some packets that I haven't opened. So these are from 1991. These are almost as old <laughs> as both of you. Yeah. <laughs> Ten triumphant cards. Bill and Ted's most atypical, atypical movie, movie cards. cards. You can also win a bodacious trip to San Dimas, California and some other non-bogus prizes. <laughs> so I thought it might be, uh, it might so, be fun. So do you reckon the... Um, do we reckon the uh, non-bogus prizes means there was no trip to San Dimas? I don't know. Right, I don't know I'm if anybody it. ever won it. Yeah, go for it. Mad. I'm not going to open mine. I have plenty of this cards. <laughs> <laughs> I have the whole set. <laughs> oh, Kira got a good one. Kira got the cover of the... I got the cover of the movie. Oh, amazing. Oh, the Bill and Ted playing a uh, concert. Amazing. That's from, is that from Bogus Journey? That's from Bogus Journey. Yeah, yeah, so this is a mix of Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey cards. Oh, they even have which movie they're from in the corner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they do. So Dude. I thought we might all enjoy that. I got, I got Ted's shitty dad. Oh. Oh, the princess. I should mention that Ted's dad is played by Hal Landon Jr., who is amazing in the movie. Yeah. And he's also really great in Bogus Journey. He has a, like a, a, a really great Heel scene. Turn. No scene in Bogus Journey. And he's in Face of Music as well. He's yeah. like a million years old. He's like, dude's almost 90. Look. Oh, I love that. It's cartoon Bill and Ted. Yeah, so there was an animated cartoon series after the after the <laughs> I, I think after Bogus Journey. Alex Winter does the voice of Bill in the cartoon, but, but Ted is a different actor. I had been selected for a most important journey. I was to help fulfill the destiny of the two great ones, 
Bill and Ted. Wild Stallions rule! Whenever time stands still and trouble moves too fast, say the future, we must learn about the past. Fox Television this fall. Oh, my God. I don't even remember them in Burgers yeah. Journey like that. Okay. Well, you know, this is an audio medium, so I'm sure it's really fun for people to <laughs> listen to you describe a trading card from 1991. It was fun. So we'll move me. on. They give everybody gum to chew and then use the gum in the pudding cups to dodge the antenna back together. Yeah. Love that. As they leave... With their fingers crossed, hoping that it's going to work, we do see a caveman popping bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the caveman's a bubblegum as well. This scene was something the studio wanted added because they wanted Bill and Ted to face more obstacles and then have to come together as a team to overcome something. Okay. That's a weird <laughs> thing to feel like the movie it's needed. It's so studio notes. Yeah. They also wanted, originally wanted them to differentiate Bill and Ted. By giving them different personalities? Nah. <laughs> and it's like... I'll tell you what, though. So they half-heartedly tried to do that. At one point, one of them was like a science nerd and one of them was a was a something else, right? Nah, and, I hate that. And, but it was one line of dialogue in action description that they never had any intention <laughs> of like yeah. working into the movie. If the ticking clock was more real to this movie... In the screenplay... They do talk about time a lot more, how much yeah. time they have left, especially at the end of the movie when they're prepping to do the yeah. final presentation. If the ticking clock was more real, then the the scene where they need to face adversity would be more important. I think they never quite figured out the ticking clock element. Yeah. There is a ticking clock element in Face the Music. Ah. I don't, well, we're probably not going to cover Face the Music for the, for the podcast. And that movie happens essentially in real time. Oh, I love that. When they say they have... X amount of minutes left to do something. That's how many minutes are left in the movie. I love that. So there's way more to this scene in the script as well. There's a bit where Ted warns all of the historical figures about licking the lid of pudding cups because you can cut your mouth on them and cut your, <laughs> cut your tongue on them. And then, and then Sigmund Freud does it anyway. Right. <laughs> and then they chat with the caveman, right? right? Which is how they end up with the gum. I don't know if this stuff was shot or not. Right. But they've obviously, yeah. I think that it might've been, and they might've cut it down. And then Ted giving a caveman a pudding cup and then going to warn him about not licking the lid and then the caveman doing it yeah. so as a running as a running gag. Ted's being like the den mother in this scene and then all the historical figures were getting a little rowdy. So Bill goes over so Ted goes over to Bill to talk to him about I need you control to help me control these people. Yeah. <laughs> like, like their parents. Bill yells at them to behave. <laughs> I don't so, think that's necessary. I don't think it's needed yeah. at all. I just think but it's it funny that it's, fun. the, that it's in the yeah. script. And then back in San Dimas, it's last night at the Circle K. <laughs> Let's go talk to ourselves and find out what we said. Yeah. We see part of the conversation that we missed last time. Rufus explains they need to dial one number higher to get back to the present day. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And that they're running late because Ted didn't wind his watch. So he reminds himself again. Ted, don't forget to wind your watch. Because that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, they get back in the booth, which is super squeezy. Yeah. yeah. There's a line, there's a line where, where Bill's like, dude, you're too tall. <laughs> It's, it's in the ADR. There's also a line that's like, that conversation made so much more, more sense, sense from this time. time. Yeah. 
So good. I love it. What's really fun is that is that this scene and the one earlier and this one are a setup for something that happens in the second movie. Really? Yeah. I don't remember it at all. Yeah. Well, we're, we're gonna. Uh, I own that tape, so okay. we'll get there eventually. Right? Perfect. They land in Bill's backyard in the present day. Mm. Missy's watering a garden and doesn't hear them because she's wearing a Walkman. Yeah, <laughs> the famous Walkman. Also, the telephone booth lands. On her hose, yeah, and the water shuts off. <laughs> yeah. So that's what clues her into something is happening. But she handles the whole situation quite well. She's yeah, not, a, not at all shocked. Well, by. she didn't see it land, right? Yeah, she but just turns around and there's Bill and Ted in a phone booth. Yeah, and all these historical figures, people that are going to clean her house. Bill and Ted yeah. introduce introduce their friends: Dennis Frude, Dave Beethoven, Herman the Kid, Beethoven. Maxine of Ark, Socrates Johnson, and. Bob Genghis Khan. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just gives up uh, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, because it's clearly him. So being a small child, I didn't get the joke. Yeah, you thought that was their name. I thought Genghis Khan's first name was Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, For no. such a long period of time. If we ever own another cat, I would like to call him Bob Genghis Khan. <laughs> yeah, great idea. Of course you do. <laughs> Bob Genghis Khan. Okay. <laughs> Missy tells them there's sodas in the fridge. <laughs> I love that. Just what your mum does. Just when take you come your little up. friends. Doesn't matter that yeah. some is some are eighty. Bill <laughs> Bill asks her for a ride and she tells him that she will not be taking them anywhere until they do their chores. Yeah. And then we get the chores montage. Yes. Same studio note. We need them to work together and overcome an obstacle. <sighs> Which is to clean the house. It's fun. It's yeah. a fun sequence. So in the script, this whole scene has dialogue and different gags. So it was all the different individual pieces. It wasn't a quick montage. Yeah. In the edit, they decided to hurry it up because we're getting towards the end of the movie. Yeah. I didn't want to spend time doing the cleaning. They don't, but there is some interesting thing. Like Billy is washing dishes and like making eyes at Joan of Arc. And then yeah, at the end of the scene, he's, she's wearing his hat. Yeah. And he he doesn't clean up properly. He just put, he just. The sandwich in the the drawer. Sandwich in in the drawer. drawer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's good fun. At the San Dimas Mall. Bill and Ted rise up an escalator with the historical figures. They get there to show them about the modern world so they can talk about what they think about it later. They've set up a buddy system. They have, and (laughs) Billy's riding the the escalator arm. I love it. Bill tells Socrates to be careful with his robes. He doesn't want to get (laughs) sucked under. (laughs) So true. And then they get everybody a slushy while they go and tell them to stay there while they go look for Napoleon. And meanwhile, at school, the history presentation has begun. A girl who's speaking posits that Marie Antoinette might say today, let them eat fast food. Oh, I hated that. That line made me cringe of like an actual like school project that would have been yeah. said, yeah. you know. Bill and Ted go to see Deacon, who's at uh, baseball practice. Yeah. Yeah. Deacon, do you realize you have stranded one of Europe's greatest leaders in San Dimas? He was a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I love the blocking of this scene. Why? The, ha- the gate? Yeah, the gate, right? So Kira knows because we've talked about this before. So they're talking to each other through a fence and it's in close up. So it looks like they can't get to Deacon because he's on the other side and of the fence. And then it cuts out. It cuts wide That's and they could have right. just stepped around the fence because the so fence right. ends right on the edge. That's such a good pickup. I love it. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> you reckon kills- that was intentional? Yes, it's absolutely uh. intentional. <laughs> That's like, 
the naked gun level of comedy. It's just visual. It's just a visual gag. That's yeah. a director like working, right? Because yeah. that's not in the script. That's like getting to the location and then deciding, hey, what if we do this kind of like slightly weird blocking so that yeah. I can do this shot? I didn't even pick that. And like up. it's so inconsequential, but yeah. it's just like it's somebody. It's it's the team having fun, right? Yeah. It's just them having fun. <laughs> so they try to figure out where we would go. Okay, wait. We were one of the greatest generals in history. And we were stranded in San Dimas for one day. Where would we go? Water Water loops. Katsu, Napoleon gets counted as a child going through the turnstile and water loops because there's a mother with like a a woman with like eight children. And one of the children goes in under the height of the window. So the attendant counts Napoleon instead. Because he's short. Also, isn't this like a school day? <laughs> Why are there so many people at school? I don't know. School? It's always, it's, it's, it's always the, the weekend, yeah. I guess. At the top of a slide, he has on his like his small pants and a cap. And he's scared to go down a water slide. He's looking into the hole. Yeah. The attendant just pushes him. He screams, but by the time that he hits the bottom, he is into it. Yeah. We get another montage. I love yeah, it. such a good time. I love it. They the, made him a good guy who cares for children and goes on water slides. The boys and the girls are doing it by Vital Signs. Another song that is sounds like a famous hair metal song, but is not such a famous a good hair metal song. Napoleon, yeah. Napoleon runs around trying different rides. I love him convincing the little girl to go down the water mm-hmm. slide. And I also love him just picking up a child and lifting them out of the way and diving down. Yeah, down he starts off like trying to get up there quicker than everyone. And then by the end of it, he's like, he's friends no, with everyone all the kids. should do it. Yeah. yeah. He's trying to, trying to convince them how great it is. Bill and Ted find him and they have to drag him away. Yeah. Stand at the edge of the pool with a towel like their parents. Yeah. Yeah. And then back in the mall, the table is empty. Bum, bum, bum. I'm not going to like this so much that happens in this sequence. So I'm just going to kind of yeah. talk about the, like the broads, the broad strokes. So, Joan of Arc obviously learns about aerobics. Beethoven discovers synths. Yeah, that was dope. I love the song when he starts to play here. Billy and Socrates hit on some co-eds. We're from history. Yeah. <laughs> Billy and Ted has like a wanted sign. And Fruit is with them. Wait, well, Fruit comes over with a hot dog and a stick. You can call me Ziggy. <laughs> is that what he says? They giggle at him and he accuses them of experiencing a mild form of hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice what he does with his hands? No. He's holding a hot dog on a stick. Oh, upright. and points it towards him. It, no, I it did. slowly drops. Oh. <laughs> That's so good. It's very broad. That's so good. Ed Solomon and uh, Chris Mathis are not a fan of some of the parts in this sequence. Really? They wrote some of it and not other parts of it. That's they very feel like subtle, some of it's though. a little too broad. That's very subtle and that's a very, like, again, a very, like, naked gun kind of silly yeah. joke. Billy and Socrates call him a geek. <laughs> And leave. <laughs> no, the girls, sorry, call him a geek and leave. Yeah, they both do. Way to go, egghead. And then, uh, and then, yeah, Socrates says geek. Yeah. <laughs> In a sporting goods store, Bob Genghis Khan is swapping out his wooden club for an aluminium bat. Oh, my God. The shit he does with the aluminium bat is so the impressive. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Holy God. Lincoln is having his photo taken at a, at a costume photo place. Yeah. The guy wants the costume back. Give me the stupid beard and the hat I back. am Abraham Lincoln. Chaos ensues. Yeah. Heaven rocks out. Jane, of course, takes over the aerobics. Bob wrecks the store on a skateboard. And then he's got football pads and a helmet. He doesn't just wreck the store. He takes out a couple of people, does some flips and shit. Yeah. It's mad. Also on the stunt team for this movie and doubling for the acrobatics of Al Leong off the mini tramp, stunt coordinator of Rapid Fire, hey. Jeff Amata. Oh, my God. 
So they were, man, they the were, myth, the legend. Yeah, right. Billy fires his gun in the air, which yeah. fires his gun at a mall. There's two firings of guns in here that are... Socrates is behind him and he has a water pistol, a little squirt <laughs> yeah, gun. Yeah, that's adorable. And they both yell, yeehaw. That is pretty cute. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this mall is the Metro Center in Phoenix, Arizona, and it closed forever in 2020 because of the pandemic. Mm. On its last day, a hundred or so Bill and Ted, Ted fans showed up to ride the escalators and hang out one last time. Oh, that just gave me goosebumps. So I love that. Yeah. See, even the Bill and Ted fandom are just so nice and amazing. There's vi- there's video of it on on YouTube. Everyone's wearing masks because it's the middle of the pandemic, and yeah, oh. it's yeah, it's it's fun. That's the best. Everyone, of course, gets arrested by the mall cops. Bogus. Yeah. You're okay, Opus? I have two notes about this montage. Sure. Before you move away from the montage. Okay. Please. Socrates has an I Love San Dimas badge. Yes, he does. When when they're flirting with the girls. Oh, and, yeah. And and when they're, when they're all escaping, Freud has a kick me sign on his back. Yeah. yeah. But Billy the Kid totally put that. Thank Does you. that happen on camera? No, it doesn't no. happen on camera. Yeah. It's something that was cut out. Thank you. In the script, Lincoln, as they're coming up the escalator, sees the sign and then goes, hmm, and kicks him. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Poor uh, I didn't write that down, so thank you for prompting me to remember <laughs> to remember that. Missy drives the boys and Napoleon, I love the zinc on Napoleon's nose, yeah. to the uh, cop shop as all the historical figures are interrogated. Tell me about your mother. Would you like a couch <laughs> to lie on? <laughs> Ted's dad is questioning Lincoln. He's like, I know how to spell Lincoln. <laughs> and at school, Ox, a jock, who was yeah, named in name. the script. He's mm. one of the guys from the beginning of the movie that had How is this guy out. passing history? I don't know, but- how are many of but, these children passing history? But Brody, San Dimas High School football rules. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely got some cheers. Yeah. Yeah, I love that he just runs out of steam and then it's like, uh, I'll do what works at a pep rally. Yeah. <laughs> After on the police station, they ask Missy, I mean mom, to give an eye on Napoleon while they go and scope out what's happening. Ted goes in and his dad tells him to pack his bag. He's headed to military school. He kind of sees that all the figures are in there. Mm. Goes back outside, tells Bill what the situation is. Bill laments, if only they had Ted's dad's keys, they could steal them, but his dad lost them two days ago. <laughs> what if they went back in time to when he had them and then stole them? They don't have time to, have time to do that now, but they could do it afterwards. Yeah, so good. <laughs> and they try to figure out where they would hide them. There's a planter box nearby and they look and there are the keys. <laughs> I totally forgot they got this advance with like, oh, we're going to think about doing this and it's going to be there. Yeah, so it's so fucking brilliant. It turns out that he did steal his dad's keys. Yeah, I love how stoked he is with that. They asked Missy to pull around back. And again, yeah, Missy just goes along. Like yeah. they're breaking people out of jail and yeah. Missy's like, do, 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 do. <laughs> so how they fit Missy's everybody in that station wagon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inside, they sneak through the station, distracting his dad with a tape recorder that they have placed in the future. Ted's like, what am I going to say on it? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> It worked. They find a note that they wrote themselves on a typewriter, wishing them good luck on their report. Yeah. With little drawings. With a drawing of the Wild Stallion logo. That was nice of us. P.S. Duck. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. To avoid someone getting out of their seat. They get into jail, break everybody out, climbing out through a window. They also let a bunch of other people out as well. They They let let everybody out. I didn't notice that. There's some there's some sex workers and a couple of guys that, that look like bikers. I did not even notice. Yeah. Ted's dad like finds his way to the tape, and when they've finished like calling out for him, 
on the tape. On the tape. They're like, oh, good job you stalled him. <laughs> <laughs> Giving the game away. Is there anything else I should say? What else do I say? And now, opening for Iron Maiden, Wild Stallion! <laughs> oh, my God. Ted's dad comes in and is like, what are you doing? And then he's like... Trash can. Remember the trash can. I don't understand the logic of how this trash can would even it's come to set up. There's a rope of some description. I don't know. He's a creative genius. The trash can falls onto Ted's dad's head, and he just and it can't also move. is graffitied. It says "Wild Stallions." I rules. didn't see that. That's the best. In the auditorium, the final presentation is ending, and Mr. Ryan tells everyone they're going to get an early mark. <laughs> There is a scene that was cut out here, which is as Bill and Ted enter, they chat about what they need to plant uh, for their presentation afterwards as well. Amazing. Ted asks what stuff they should plan. Bill replies, he doesn't know. Let's go in and find out. <laughs> this there's when we were watching the, the stage show, Ellie was like, how did they get all of this done? And I was like, just don't even think so, about the logic. On the commentary, they talk about the fact that at one point in the screenplay, they had cutaways of seeing other Bill and Ted's working all the equipment uh, and then like give it and then positive reinforcing the Bill, Bill and Ted's that are on stage. I love that. And at, like at a certain point, again, from a production point of view, eh, let's, not, let's not worry, yeah, but we're going to shoot all these extra pieces. Instead, in the scene, the lights go down and Bill and Ted's presentation begins like a rock concert. <laughs> Billy comes out to introduce them. The audience is like, what is happening? There's a guy in costume. Yeah. So yeah, he fires his gun yeah. to get their attention. Very questionable. And then orders them to clap. Yeah. <laughs> Missy sneaks in and sits next to Mr. Ryan and gives him a, oh, hi. Long time no see. Yeah. yeah I was wondering about that too. Yeah. So, and then their kind of, their show, be show begins. They start with Sir Crates first. Ted's going to translate for him. We see their dads arguing as they both come into the into the auditorium. They clearly blame each other mm. for the way that for their for their sons being a bad influence on the other one. Froud's analysis of Ted: Ted is the embodiment of his father's greatest fears, hence his father's aggression towards him. We get woe. Yeah. yeah. We get Keanu Reeves doing woe for the first time. Whoa. Yeah. Froud asks Bill if he wants to lie down. Nah. I just got a minor edible complex. This and Missy's face. Is one of the best jokes of all the As a child, I did not understand that joke, but I have the clear memory of my father laughing at it. Just like the absolute, like, he already knows the Oedipal complex and what it is. He's come to terms with it. <laughs> he's and just he's just like, and let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> Next is Bob Genghis Khan showing off his skills. Yeah. They talk about him ravaging China and an hour ago in Oshman Sporting Goods. <laughs> Bill Spars. With uh, practice swords with Joan. Yeah, it's cute. Napoleon has like a risk board laid out. It's not a risk board, but it's yeah. like a risk with army men. I love how it's like, but that won't work. Wait, well, he has plans. <laughs> yeah. He has plans for a giant water slide all across Europe from France to Russia to move his troops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Water slide. And then he gets pissy when they tell him that he won't work. Yeah. And he and just knocks everything over. Uh, yeah. And yeah, he's still wearing the Ziggy Pink badge. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> okay. So in the script, this is all so much slower and in a 
different order. Ah. At one point, they take a snack break. They, that's they, they that's why everyone. Yes, oh. they tell everyone to reach under their seats and and pull out pudding cups, which is why everybody is like just randomly eating pudding I cups love in, that. The, in the crowd. I just thought like at one point they were just like, oh. This is great. Let's get food out and like <laughs> eat while we watch it. Yeah. So they, they then start like intercutting everybody. So clearly this was like played with massively in post-production yeah. to give it like energy and rhythm. We find out that Beethoven loves Mozart's Requiem, Handel's Messiah and Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then our last speaker is Mr. Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. Four score and seven minutes ago. Your forefathers were brought forth upon a most excellent adventure, conceived by our new friends, Bill and Ted. They look so proud of themselves. Mm. These two great gentlemen are dedicated to a proposition which was true in my time. Just as it's true today. Be excellent to each other. And party on, crowd goes nuts. Thank you, San Dimas High. They all get in the booth. Just time travel in time front of travel. everyone. The whole crowd like loses their shit and start clapping and, and asking for an encore. Yeah, or which they won't get. People like light lighters and race yeah. them off yeah. their heads like they're at a concert. This scene is a complete reshoot. Oh. The original ending of this movie just takes place in a classroom. Oh, wow. Amazing. It's the same presentation, but it's just in a classroom. It was so small. And so the, they rewrote it and reshot the, the whole thing to be to be this. Climactic. That's definitely a needed I'm change. I'm not going to lie. Ellie and I did bump on the stage and it's like, what ever, when did you ever have a presentation that was like in a hall With like the this? whole school there. Yeah. The screenwriters joke about it on the commentary. They're like, <laughs> yeah, okay. ah, whatever. Like, again, it's like, <laughs> who cares, man? Oh, I just really loved. We watched such a f- excellent movie, I, I, especially mm. after the how disappointing Future Cop Three was. Oh yeah, another time travel movie. So true, and but it was just great because like it was such a good movie, and I knew it was going to be such a good movie that I like my roommate Ellie. I just got everyone in to watch it with me. It was so good. Mm. And then we are back where we started in the garage. This is not the original ending of the movie. Really, it ended at prom. Ah, with billeted arriving in the booth in Texas. <laughs> I love that. In front of where people have their photos taken. Yes. Right? See, that's good because then they would have gone back and saved the princesses like they said they were Well, they do. said they tried to find the princesses and they couldn't find yeah. them, right? And then they're sad that they went all the way through time and still don't have dates for prom. Yeah. Uh. Rufus then showed up in another booth with the princesses and the scene plays out pretty sim- pretty similarly. Yeah. But that was the original and last I love, scene with Bill and Ted. Yeah. I love that they like they have a little kiss and it's like, hey, here's some girls, but it, they go, oh, but they're in the band. Well, we'll, we'll talk in a we'll, – okay, let me talk sorry, through I what actually ahead. happens in the movie. Yeah, okay. so they're still making their video, but Ted is getting disheartened. They traveled through time, but nothing changed, even though they got an A. Yeah. They thought their lives would be, would be different, but it's still just the same. Because then, they haven't been told what happens in the future yet. No, they haven't, right? And then Bill's like, 
well, we need to start learning how to play. Yeah. Rufus arrives in the in the booth. So the roller door goes up and you can see outside. It's a completely different house. <laughs> because this is LA, not Phoenix, where they shot uh, the movie. There's like bushes and like there's no street. You can't see the street and the tree and everything. Yeah. It does not match at all the house from the start of the, start of That's the, the movie. That's hilarious. I mean, it's also set up back the front than it was because the drums and the kitten were all on the other side of the wall. Rufus has the princesses with him. He taught them about mall and credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> In the commentary, Solomon and Matheson regret that there are no well-written female characters in this yeah. movie. And that basically they're just like objects that problems need to need to win, right? They mention that they have plans to fix that for Face the Music, which, which they, they do. do. Ah, I got to watch right? it. It's not really an excuse, but they explain that they were 24 when they wrote this movie and yeah. they knew nothing about women. They didn't even think about it. They knew nothing yeah. about women. They didn't hang out with women yeah. because they were hanging out doing Bill and Ted all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Can we watch Bogus Journey soon so I can watch Face the <laughs> Music with all three, like, together? Yeah. I mean, we may should, maybe we should do a very special episode and break our rules and do Face the Music because it's so I would good. love that. Rufus rescued the princesses right before they had to marry the royal ugly dudes. How can they ever thank him? Well, they can start by signing something for his kids. Yeah, I love it. It's an album with a, okay, still physical media, <laughs> 700 years <laughs> in the future, I wish. It's an album with a video cover of Wild Stallions. He explains their music is the foundation of their whole society. No way. Yes way. That's why he was sent to make sure they pass their history report. You see, eventually... Your music will help put an end to war and poverty. It will align the planets and bring them into universal harmony, allowing meaningful contact with all forms of life, from extraterrestrial beings to common household pets. And it's excellent for dancing. He has the ladies sign as well because they are in the band. Yeah. And he has one last surprise for them. He pulls out two futuristic V-shaped guitars with no necks. Okay. These guitars without heads actually exist. Where are the tuning forks? I've never had one. I think they're on the back. Uh, Maybe. Okay. I don't know. That would make sense because they'd have to be them. I yeah. saw on the, they're not on the back of the neck in this film, but that doesn't mean that's not where they are. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So Rufus has one last request. He wants to jam with them. Yeah. Do you know how to play? Oh, he plays a little. <laughs> Shreds a solo. I love that. <laughs> they jam. Bill, my friend. Ted, my friend, this has been a most excellent adventure. They start to play and they suck. So bad. <laughs> so badly. Rufus looks straight at camera. They do get better. <laughs> Cut to black. And that is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. So good. I love how like fatherly Rufus is. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's like he's done this all before. And like even when he uses their lingo because it's like built into the culture, he does it like knowing, I don't know, it's just a fatherly, all-knowing kind of tone. In the script, there is one more scene oh. after the prom. In the dome, in the future, Rufus is presented with a medal Star by Wars the leaders medal scene. as Wild Stallions Blast. I love that. Ah. So, yeah, the movie ends with Ruf Rufus in the, in the screenplay. An appropriate age to have seen Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Zero, a hundred, all ages. Our child will definitely see it before the age of one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're just But, I mean, up. in terms of, like, enjoying it, I think anywhere between five and ten. Yeah, you could enjoy this at any age. There yeah. is enough in it to enjoy it when you have no idea what's going on in it. 
and there is enough to enjoy it as an adult, except if you're a critic with no sense of humour. Yeah. Because yeah. it's brightly coloured and exciting enough that, yeah, I think I think little kids could, could get into it easily. If you can feel joy in your heart, you were the right age for this movie. That is yes. correct. Yeah. I was eight years old when I saw this movie yeah. for the first time. Perfect. Uh, and I enjoy it just as much today as I did then. Would you watch this movie again if you are in free will? Yes. 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 A rating for <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I have to go through the motions. The way that we rate movies is on a five-star scale, with one being... I hated this movie, two being I did not like this movie, two and a half being I liked parts of this movie, it was fine, three being I liked this movie, four being I love this movie, five being this is one of my favourite movies of all time. Five. I shall give it a one five-star review. <laughs> <laughs> Fives all round. Yeah. This is legitimately Hands one down, of my favourite If favorite I could give it time. six, I would. There's not even anything that we've talked about, all the good stuff. Like yeah. normally I would do a little summary of why I feel the way I feel. If you don't understand uh, why I feel the way I feel, you listen to the wrong podcast. We, we like talked about this movie at length too and we have not talked about everything that's great about this movie. Yeah. Well, no, I could I could continue to right? podcast. Like yeah. we could have broken down every scene of this movie with every little bit of like yeah. sprinkling that yeah. was beautiful. It's just so good. Yeah. The only other thing I would say is that is that like sometimes I like Bogus Journey more, <laughs> but but for different but for different reasons. Yeah, I think this is a better movie. There's parts to Bogus Journey I love I think more. Bogus Journey is a movie that is more in places more well crafted because it's made by people that have more experience making movies. Interesting. It has a different director as well, so this is slightly different, slightly different vibe. To yeah. the I need to rewatch a Bogus. This is the, um, this is the movie that Kim puts on when I've had a bad day. So for me, oh. it's very much the uh, yep. hanging out with my friends but thing. But this is unbridled joy. Like it just yeah, exactly. makes you happy. It, hey. it cheers you up because you get to yeah. hang out with little Keanu and, 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 and Billy and, and Socrates. That was me when I like Such made the time. movie. I was just actively like fucking making notes. Like all I have to do is experience this movie. I'm going to make myself popcorn and have the full experience. Have a nice time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, we do need to stop talking about Bill and Ted now. Sad. Mm, Sorry. It is sad. Next week. Yay, choices. The way that we pick movies is that Kira and Brody alternate taking turns from pre-picks that I have prepared. This week is Brody's pick. <gasps> if a movie remains unpicked three times, it is struck out and taken off the list, although I can bring it back a later date of my choosing. Still on the list, because we're doing heavy hitters until I'm a father. Hell yeah. Is The Crow. There is a legend that a crow can carry a soul back from the dead to seek justice and put the wrong things right. To move your death. I'm dead. And I move. Brandon Lee. It's not a good day to be a bad guy. The Crow Rated R. Uh, do you Lee remember the, the plan? <laughs> yes, strikes. vaguely. You may have to remind me, but Brandon Lee in The Crow. I love Brandon Fuck, Lee. this is a good movie. <laughs> yes. You don't even say it. Just assume I'm going to cut it <laughs> in. <laughs> Brandon Lee's great in this. Brandon Lee's fighting skills are way better than everybody else's. I love Brandon Lee movies. Oh, oh, the images on the back. I don't need to read the back, but can I just read that? Sure. In a world without justice, one man was chosen to protect the innocent. God, he's good. God, he's good. I, know, I don't know right? if he protects the innocent, but sure. Okay. <laughs> and then with one strike, the Blair Witch Project. Yes, yes my yes. other favorite. This is my home, which I am leaving the comforts of for the weekend to explore the Blair Witch. 
can see you. I'm real excited about this. Thank you for I'm the opportunity. I'm very glad. This area's been haunted by that old woman all oh, yeah. I don't know why you have to have every conversation on video. Because we're making a documentary. Not about us getting lost. We're making a documentary about a witch. I don't. Lost? Admit that first. No, I know we're not lost. All over the place. Well, how do we know it was people? Well, even if it wasn't, I'm not going to play with that either. And it's not because of me that we're here now. <laughs> Hungry. And cold. And hunted. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. Tell me where you are, Josh! I'm actually really looking forward to seeing this because I've never seen it and it's just one of those ones that should be in your zeitgeist if you don't have it. So. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think you're going to watch it and be a little bit confused as to why it's one of my favourites. Really? Just because you know me and I don't think that you would it's necessarily put this movie as, you know who would love this movie? Kira. Like. <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, I think there's a very specific reason that you like it, and we'll yeah. talk about it when we do the movie. I have lots movie. to say. Yeah, cool, good. Eight oh nine. What does that mean? Eight dollars. Eight dollars for an overnight. Oh, overnight. It's okay. a new release. <laughs> eight oh nine. Mm-hmm. Overnight. Mm-hmm. Overnight rental. The dash means this also, thing's moving. Eight dollars. Yeah, it's fucking expensive. Yeah. Get fucked. Video. Bl- oh. Get fucked. Video easy. I was going <laughs> to say that was Blockbuster. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Blockbuster was exy. Yeah. Now and let's um, see what he's picked to try to break up. Yeah, you better come in swinging with this one. Well, talk to big game. I know a little less about what you will respond to, right? Yeah, in terms sure. of like in totality, I have an idea of what because we're not of. married. No, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, close yeah. enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you Is have this had a swing for the fence. You have had um, reactions to things, okay, that didn't get picked. So returning <gasps> to the oh, list from the rejection pile is Giver, Dark Hero. Oh. There is a line between good Don't kill me. Sean Parker. Has crossed that line. He's been drawn here by a power. Everybody here knows what we're digging for. By a force. See it in my dreams and I put it down on paper. He doesn't understand. Who are you? The Giver is here. I know you got claws you ain't showing. I'm not the one with the claws. I've been here in another hour. Or shall I send someone with more experience?
my god, it's so good. Gavru, dark hero, half man, half alien, all hero. So to be clear, this is the sequel. This is not the first movie. This is the second movie. But it doesn't matter. You'll be fine. (laughs) Sci-fi's most powerful superhero. Complete uncut version. From the director of Drive. Amazing. The French Drive that you like, that you... Wait, wait, wait. You said there was a movie that Drive... Have I got confused? Not Drive... (laughs) With Ryan Gosling, <laughs> Drive with Mark DeCostos, the movie that we oh. have done on this podcast. <laughs> Fucking hell. I forgot that was called Drive. <laughs> you know me in my brain. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the French Drive. I'll just do the top line of this one. Do whatever the fuck you want, man. <laughs> the most spectacular martial arts special effects ever seen. What was the plan again? Okay, so. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't be lured by her. Yeah, no, Get Brody. Take Brody. Crow, no. Brody. Brody. No. She made you watch Roller Boys. The, the crow I has. really the, didn't like Roller Boys. The crow <laughs> has two strikes. If you don't pick it now, oh we don't God. watch it. Blair Witch Project has one strike. You cannot pick that this week because I will pick it next week okay. and it'll be fine. And then you will then get to pick this when it has two strikes. Okay. And unless then get you, to see Guy Unless Bar. I can tempt Kira away with something else. You know you don't want me well, not you, to pick the crow. It, you especially fine. want he'd the crow. To, he'd have can to tempt you f- away. He'd have I, to tempt you away. He yeah. could never tempt me away from Blair Witch Project. <laughs> so it's all good. You just have to pick the crow this time. Stick to the plan, Brody. Stick to the plan. I've had such a fun time doing this. From the moment that you were not going to be on the podcast. Yeah. Right. And you picked that Chuck Norris movie. Yeah. I have known what every pick was going to be since then <laughs> and what every movie I was going to put on the list since then. Uh, I have enjoyed crafting this so much. It's ridiculous. I know what I'm doing next week. <laughs> you know, this is Wait. probably one of the only movies that could have tempted me away. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's The Crow. It is. You it's The say Crow. It. All three of us fucking froth this movie. Like, and you know what? I think I've seen it twice maybe in my whole life. Oh, wow. Can you, yeah. can you imagine only having seen that movie twice? <laughs> yeah. And only ever seeing it twice, I know how much I love this movie. And I didn't realise how good it was when I watched it the first time. And I was just blown away. Like, holy shit. And it'll be I, a great I juxtaposition will... to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. Too. But also, it's going to be another long pod. Oh, because fucking oath. Because there's so much, there's so much to talk about. I'm keen. Oh, I was about to start asking questions about the crow. We'll do it on the crow podcast, which would mean that you would have be, to be picking the crow, correct? It will be next <laughs> but, week. But Brody, go have a duck. Here. I know it will be picked. It'll Trust be me, picked. it's not going to fall off twice. It might. No, it won't. It won't. You evil bastard. The only way it gets falls off the list is if he can tempt you away from it. I know, and I I'm believe so. I'm so changeable. So you are changeable, <laughs> but I think you'll be okay. <laughs> Okay, okay. Officially, the crow. Yes. Cool. <laughs> okay, you made it another week where I have to do way too much work. <laughs> I'm Jesus sorry. Christ. I gotta read a whole fucking. Oh my god, man. <laughs> mm, I just think <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> you really I don't are. even have a child yet. <laughs> and then next week when we do the Witch Project, you'll have to read the whole book of that new behind the oh, scenes book fuck that we got. Off. Jesus. <laughs> My no, mom, you're right. You got a new yeah, book about my, it. My mum randomly bought me a behind I already, the scenes. Oh, no, I, don't need to, I don't need to read that. I already know all, all of it. 
It, it's a both of those movies are movies that I could do without notes. Yeah. Like I will make notes because I'll because I like with Bill and Ted. I did learn a bunch of stuff, but I could have done Bill and Ted without without having done a bunch of research. Yeah, for sure. Just because I know fucking like everything. I know about, so much about, about Blair Witch Project. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna hurt me having to be quiet while you explain things no, that no, I know. This is gonna be great. It's <laughs> great. You, you can run the show. Do you want it? <laughs> I don't want to run it. That would be fascinating. You can run the show. I know a lot. You can about have the segments. Making. You can I, do segments. I know. I know a lot about the making of that movie. I'm stoked. Okay, well, don't come back next week for The Crow starring Brendan Lee. Do it, though. I love Brendan Lee. I love Brendan Lee. Brendan Lee's great in this. Brendan Lee's fighting skills are way better than everybody else's. I love Brendan Lee movies. (laughs) (laughs) Don't like, don't subscribe, don't follow us on any of the social media at... We'd give video on Instagram and sometimes Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you could, you could, you could follow and us. You can, and you can leave us a review. Yeah, do that. Reviews I have so many dark secrets and horror stories. And, and You can light. do that on iTunes because I have had a couple of people ask because the podcast apps that they listen to us on don't have that as yeah, an option. We, and it's, bit, like, it's iTunes. Yeah, it's, iTunes. Yeah, yeah. iTunes. Yeah, iTunes reviews. And, you know, if you're worried that I haven't seen it, feel free to screen cap and send it to me. So yeah. do it. 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 Also, but also don't listen to us and like go outside and make better life choices. No, and, don't. And bad life and, choices are where it's at. And be excellent to each other. And yeah. party on, dudes. And Most triumphant. Uh, Same. So great. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I was waiting for. Good job. Can you boys give me even one example of classical music? But of course. William Theodore, this is an outrage. Wait until you hear the flip side, teacher creature. Bill Ted, do you even have any idea what classical music is? Anything written before 1978? And anything by Eddie Van Halen. That does it. I want to report on classical music sitting on my desk first thing tomorrow morning. No way! Yes way! Or you two clowns can just consider yourselves music appreciation flunkouts. So, major brain drain. drain.